What's up, everyone? Welcome back to For New Eyes Only, the James Bond retrospective podcast where I am watching the movies for the first time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> With me, as always, is the Q to my James Bond, Nathan Simmons. Hi, man. How's it going? We, this is a long time coming. We're here. We're here. We're guys. here, man. This is one of the moments. This is one yeah. of the moments I've been waiting for on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, and man. I and I, I got to tell you right off the bat, I, I know that my um, my video quality is not quite what it usually is. Uh, <laughs> I am. I'm currently broadcasting from a top secret uh location <laughs> i'm house sitting for my parents uh and i can tell you this never happened to the other fella <laughs> well i can i i, I did want to say i you know we've talked about it a little bit coming yeah. up to this episode that you know on her majesty's secret service is one of your not only favorite james bond movies but favorite movies of all time ever yeah and absolutely i, I think i kind of kind of honed in on one reason why it's one of your favorite Bond movies. Oh, please. Because Blofeld has a fucking Batcave in this movie, my friend. Oh, man. (laughs) Not only does he have a Batcave, but like, if you can Google this and put it up on the screen for the edit, it is, it's, so (laughs) Kenner Toys for the Batman 89 movie put out a Batcave playset, and each time a new movie came out, they kind of reskinned it a little bit. (laughs) So when Batman, uh, when Batman and Robin came out, they put out a version of it that had icicles on it, and it 100% is. I mean, it seems that he only has the one catwalk, but right. <laughs> it's it's pretty. It, it yeah, the production design on that is it screams, uh, you know, Batman. There's a new villain in town. His name is Mister Freeze. <laughs> when uh, when 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 Bond gets to the 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 compound or whatever you want to call it in the, in the latter Gloria. half of this movie yeah. uh, when when they're walking through and Blofeld's You're talking sick. about Cillian Murphy's fortress from Inception? <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, they're walking through there and I was just like, well, man, this is like a fucking Batcave. I see why yeah. Nathan likes this movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that is the reason. Uh, not, not, the, not the believable love story, not the unconventional action sequences or like lead. Um, yeah, man. Honor Majesty's Secret Service to me, and I'm just going to tip my hand right out of the gate, is... I mean, to me, there are movies that come up after this that I adore. I think this is the best it gets until the Craig era. Like it, it other movies come close to this, but this movie is so close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And even when it's wonky, I respect its wild swings and weird choices and fidelity to the source material while still improving on it. Like there is so much to love about on her majesty's secret service and i have been chomping at the bit to talk to you about it before you watch the movie i got even more excited when the credits rolled and you texted me fuck dude <laughs> like <laughs> and uh and like this is i'm gonna tell our our, our viewers slash listeners right now this is the episode where i will cry I, there is no avoiding it <laughs> I love this movie entirely and I'm I'm so thrilled to be finally talking about it with you after after 
having to unfortunately take a take a little hiatus yeah i mean life gets in the way sometimes so we've had to yeah. put off i mean i watched it the first for, for the first time about a month ago mm-hmm. and uh yeah i mean as soon as i put it on i was i was shooting nathan a couple of texts and uh <laughs> it's um it's definitely one that we're going to have a nice conversation about for sure i was excited mm-hmm. to get to it uh one being the first bond movie we're talking about without sean connery sure um, this is going to be the first one with George Lazenby and, uh, yeah, the only one with George Lazenby. Only also. one. And, yeah. and I, you know, I've got some questions about that too. Once we get into our conversation. Yeah. Um, but being as though it's been, I don't know how long since we recorded the last episode. Yeah, man. I do not remember what my guess was for oh, I, Her Majesty's I, Secret Service. I just re-listened to it and you, you took kind of like a wide net with this one. It was, uh, you said, I think Bond is going to be tasked with something he's never had to do before and i think you're right because what he's never had to do before is care about a woman that's right (laughs) good morning my name's bond james bond bond uh... falls in love in this movie bond meets his match and you know it's not it is not a linear path which is one of my few qualms with this film which we will talk about man uh yeah i i think you you still kind of nailed it i think i did i think i did uh and 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 just it's uh it's a little bit of a mixed bag of a movie and we'll get into that when Mm -hmm. we get into the plot a little bit but uh i will go ahead and play one hand um i was about five minutes in Uh uh-huh when i when i jotted down a little note and i said i'm already thinking this is the best bond we've watched so far I, I have to agree. And I'm not just because of my little preamble, but I think on a technical level, it nothing nothing else comes close. I mean, I love the the pacing of From Russia with Love, and I think it has really interesting uh, shot construction and and really interesting fight choreography, things like that. But this is the movie where Peter Hunt, who'd worked on second unit direction and editing on the previous pictures, finally got to sit in the director's chair after saving you only live twice from a yep. disastrous test screening and cutting it down from like three hours to like 215 or I whatever said, i finished with editing i don't want to do any more editing i'm going to direct that's what i want to do uh but they were the, the albert broccoli and harry saltzman said you got this kid like go go show us what you can do and i think he turns in a movie that feels in some spots insanely modern um, especially from the beginning. Uh, and speaking of the beginning, shall I try to set up the plot for us? And I was just going to say, we're going to get to our little segment here where Nathan gives us the plot of On Her okay. Majesty's Secret Service in 007 seconds or less. So we're going to count down from three as usual. Yeah. Five or from three. Five. <laughs> uh, trick, Seven. Trick question. Yeah. Uh, three, two, one, go. While on Blofeld's trail, Bond finds unexpected love and foils a genocidal plot. Ooh, 5.21. Oh, maybe my best time yet. I think it is. Uh, to- I, I, You know what? While I was saying that, I felt like I had all the time in the world. Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, you had questions about the man, the myth, the legend, George Lazenby. Uh, should we do get into a little bit of the background on this movie? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, first time we're mm-hmm. dealing with a Bond that's not Sean Connery. Uh, apparently, right. he, we spoke and, a little bit about this in the last episode for yes. um, You Only Live Twice. Connery was a little over the role mm-hmm. and uh, did not have a contract to come back, I don't believe. He yeah, and they they offered him a higher paycheck, and he was just over it. I mean, yeah. he hated the by this point, he hated the producers. He hated 
the um he hated the public perception of the character he didn't like being recognized only as james bond out in public and he just wanted something he wanted to start over you know he wanted something new and uh, another thing that people report about his uh displeasure with the series was that his little brother had done a movie uh, a comedy film called operation kid brother that was like a spoof of the bond movies and featured Lois Maxwell, Mrs. Moneypenny, and uh, Bernard Lee, M, in small roles. And so he was mad with them for, oh, wow. for, you know, kind of making a mockery of his character, it seemed. That is something he disputed in later years. But I, <laughs> I, I tend to, when a lot of these stories come out about, like, actors in the 60s and being very mercurial, I kind of believe it. Because you hear all those stories about, like, Marlon Brando refused to learn his lines. And guess what? It was fine with the director. You know, it's just, you know I'm always just like, okay, they like actors kind of ran the table on stuff like that. And, and yeah. Connery became kind of well-known for being kind of a bad boy. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I believe that story, but um, yeah, he said, I'm not coming back. And so a, a search began, uh, you know, Honor Majesty's Secret Service had been put off a couple of times. Uh, originally, it was going to follow Goldfinger and the rights battle had cleared up between Kevin McClory and Eon Productions over Thunderball. So they're like, let's do Thunderball before he changes his fucking mind. <laughs> they did Thunderball. Uh, then they were going to do it before uh, You Only Live Twice and discovered that the locations they wanted to shoot in Switzerland were completely frozen over. Uh, so they call up Roald Dahl and say, can you write You Only Live Twice? Uh, and they do that. And for this one, they still wanted to do On Her Majesties, but they weren't sure that they had the locations. And so their original plan was, we're going to go shoot uh, The Man with the Golden Gun, uh, which is uh, Ian Fleming's final Bond novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like really fresh in the public's mind. Ian Fleming recently deceased within the last two years. And the plan was they approached a they approached a guy by the name of Roger Moore to play James Bond. And uh, at the time, Roger Moore was like stuck in a contract to do his television series, The Saint, which, by the way, guys, if you want a cozy evening in, throw on The Saint. It's so <laughs> much better than the Val Kilmer movie they made out of it. <laughs> it's just like it's just a like a fun little Bond story every week, kind of. But uh, and we, we'll get when whenever we finally did get Roger Moore, we'll get into some of the very strange contractual obligations that came with him coming from the saint to playing James Bond. There were wow. like very weird things where they're like, you can't do this because your other character did it and audiences will be confused. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strange. Um, so uh, the, the list of people that they went through uh, while pursuing this movie, eventually they were like, OK, we, we will do Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Switzerland is uh, wet enough for us to do it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Soft enough. So we're going we're gonna to go shoot in the Alps. Um, they offered the role to Jeremy Brett, who is probably best known for playing Sherlock Holmes for over a decade on British television. He's mm-hmm. incredible. But he didn't like the character, was worried that playing, uh, you know, a womanizing <laughs> uh, sociopath would hurt his public image. Uh, and so they, uh, so they, he passed on it. They offered it to Michael Caine, who had just done uh, the Ipcrest file and all these like other spy movies, and he was worried that 
he'd be typecast as a spy actor. Right. Um, maybe they, oh, they offered it to Timothy Dalton, who at the time said, I feel like I'm too young to do this. He was right. 34 at the time, which means he was five years older than the guy they ended up casting. <laughs> um, but he's like, I, but perhaps the wildest one, according to his autobiography, uh, because he was friends with Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, the role was offered to Adam West. Wow. Who at the time was wrapping up his final season of Batman. Mm -hmm. And he politely declined because he felt Bond should always be played by an English actor. Uh, which is interesting. I like I, kudos to him for, for sticking to his guns on that. I mean, we, in, in later years, they would continue to offer the role to uh, American actors that are just baffling. Um, <laughs> eventually they say, okay, we're going to put out a, a casting call. Maybe we'll get an unknown. We don't have to fight the star power of Sean Connery. We make the movie about, we make the marketing about who is James Bond. And so for a while, the original screenplay was, okay, Bond is too well known among the, the, the Smersh community. Uh, we have to give him plastic surgery. So the movie would have opened with him like coming out of surgery and having a new face and they were going to like just explain it in text this is why bond is different um, <laughs> they could have rolled on rolled with that from you only live twice and just right. kept, kept him japanese oh that reminds me so there was another they also offered it to terrence stamp who you may know as general zod mm -hmm. um and he he said uh he was like i'm into it but uh you know i want to i, I i'm worried about following Connery's. so um you know, in one of those books, he becomes a Japanese fellow. So maybe, <laughs> maybe the movie opens with me in like samurai garb and a different face. And slowly I peel back the layers over the course of the movie. And now the audience is like grown to accustomed to like my movements. And now they know me as Bond. It was kind of a weird take. And he said that the producers just kind of stared at him blankly. Like they came <laughs> into this dinner meeting, like you're the guy. We think you're perfect for Bond. And he said they left kind of like man, Stamp's kind of a cunt, like, <laughs> um, uh, my, my words, not his. And I don't believe that. I think he's great. Um, but I mean, he was, it, there's a, it's a hilarious interview where he talks about this, this story, but so they do this big casting call and George Lazenby is a Australian male model. Mm -hmm. no acting experience and did i hear i think i was doing some research over 400 auditions for the role yes. as well yeah 28 year old george lazenby a former car salesman from australia who has become a male model in england soon receives a fateful phone call from agent maggie abbott i got a phone call in paris from maggie saying you got to come over to london i think that you're ideal for this role that they can't fill and i said what's the role and she said, I think you'd be right for James Bond. And I said, why is that? She said, just your arrogance. <laughs> and so uh, he, he, he goes down to this audition and finds all these other chaps who are dressed like James Bond. They've all got like the mannerisms, the physicality down. And he's like, I don't fucking know what I'm doing, <laughs> but I know how to look the part because I am a model. Right. So I want a suit like Sean Connery. And he said, well, it'll take about six weeks. But I got one here that they didn't pick up. They don't want. If you like that, I'll sell it to you. And I got longer arms by about this much than him because all they did is put the sleeves down. Bob's your uncle. I got his suit. 
And then I went to his barber, Kurt the barber at the Dorchester Hotel. He go. He finds out from a friend where Sean Connery gets his haircut. He goes to that barber shop, gets his haircut just like Connery's. Wears the suit, wears the fedora, shows up at the audition. Um, according to Lazenby, he had to sneak past the girl at the front desk. <laughs> like he was like, <laughs> I was not on the list. There's a really great um, uh, Hulu uh, film called Becoming Bond, in which George Lazenby. Uh, basically narrates a, a an exaggerated version of his life story mm-hmm. and and has various actors performing it with a mix of kind of drunk history style and then original like uh, performances. The guy, I can't think of the actor's name right now, but the dude who played Kano in the new Mortal Kombat plays George Lazenby and he's <laughs> incredible. He's incredible. I also give really good foot massages. So Lazenby goes into the casting director's office and just starts making shit up. He's like, I heard you're looking for James Bond. And the guy says, okay, well, where have you worked? And he said, I started listing off all these places he couldn't check. <laughs> He's like, oh, I did uh, Hamlet in Russia. You know, <laughs> like, you know I did, I did, uh, oh, I, I did a Neil Simon play in Germany. You know, just like stuff like that. <laughs> and so the guy's like kind of impressed by just his machismo and his general charisma. Right. Because he also had, George Lazenby's background was he was a car salesman for years. So he got very good at like convincing people of shit. Right. Um, and so the guy goes, okay, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take you to meet Harry Saltzman. So he takes him over to Harry Saltzman's office. And at this point, Lazenby's getting like nervous, but also pissed off. He's got like a, the thing you start to learn when you dig more into this guy's life is that as a young man, he had a real chip on his shoulder and he, he goes into this, meeting Saltzman's on the phone won't even like talk to him until he's like done with this uh, meeting and so Lazenby went over and he like just stares out the window kind of pissed off finally Saltzman gets off the phone and says uh who are you what have you done why should you be James Bond and Lazenby is like I made everything up earlier so I I'm gonna get caught in a lie so he he kind of like and at this point he's kind of pissed off by Saltzman's uh behavior and he tells, he said, he says to Saltzman, he kind of looks over his shoulder and he goes, he can tell you as good as I can. And so, <laughs> so the casting director is like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he did. Uh, he did some plays in Germany. Like he just starts <laughs> listing stuff. And Saltzman was like, you got the, you have the biggest balls of anyone I've seen so far. Uh, he gives him a retainer to stay in town until they can get Peter Hunt to fly back from the Alps where he's doing location scouting to meet with George Lazenby. Peter Hunt flies in. It is pissed off. He's like, he's like, I, I, I have been fighting for this job for years, and now they're not even letting me like check locations because I have to meet with you. Why the hell should I cast you? And Lazenby finally cracks, and he says, I've never fucking acted before. I gotta live with you. I'm not an actor. He said, What? He said, You gotta be an actor. I said, I'm not. He said, I'll tell you what. You stick to your story, and I'll make you the next James Bond. And they, but they put him through crazy tests because he was unta- I mean, at this point, uh, Cubby Broccoli and Albert Sal- uh, and Harry Saltzman had figured out um, it, the guy's done a couple of commercials. Like they, they're like, he's a fucking coat rack. He's not a, he's yeah. not an actor. Yeah. And so they were putting him through fight choreography, putting him through like swimming. There's this weird story that Lazenby has told on a couple of occasions where he claims one of the producers and he never figured out whom 
sent a prostitute to his room to test and see if he liked women. <laughs> like they were like, we need to make sure you're macho, which is like, if that's true, that's the, like the most fucked up thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, he was game. He's, he said, he said <laughs> I thought, he's like, I thought it was weird when a guy showed up at my room and said, this woman wants to have sex with you and then stayed to make sure I did it. Like, so, like, I, I, I hope it's not true. And I do hope it is. I, I, I can't even land it on either side of that. But eventually the turning point was he knocked a fucking stuntman out cold during a fight test. And Harry Saltzman said, you're James Bond. We're going with you. <laughs> and uh over the course of filming he he kind of grew disillusioned with it he said that he basically feels like he was kind of left adrift he was never given any direction peter hunt would apparently tell people on set leave him alone don't talk to him the more isolated he is the more he's gonna feel like james bond yeah, I mean, um, this is one um, I, I watched a little bit of the behind the scenes of this one, yeah. and this is the first one where I've gotten any sort of interview with the the person playing Bond. Right, because you, Connery got, would not do it for those featurettes. Right. I mean, you've got secondhand interviews with Connery and some of those where he's sure. talking about the character and whatnot. But this is the first one where, you know, Lazenby agreed to be interviewed for the for the behind the scenes. Yeah, like and, came back later and was yeah. like looking back on it. Yeah, because Connery, those Connery interviews are all concurrent with the movie coming out right and i was surprised to hear some of the stories he told about the yeah. the, the, the the what he had to go through uh, mm -hmm. the fact that he was uh, a nobody and just kind of mm -hmm. on a whim went for the bond role and, and all of um, a sudden he's in the biggest franchise in the world as yeah. the leading character insane it's nuts and um it'd be like if someone called me tomorrow and said would you like to be iron man <laughs> You know, <laughs> and I was like, but what about Robert Downey Jr.? And they're like, you're Robert Downey Jr. now. <laughs> well, that's one thing I'll, I'll, I will say about George Lazenby in this is I feel mm -hmm. like they did a good job with sort of giving you him as a as a replacement for Connery. Like, I mm -hmm. feel like he sort of matches some of the Connery isms some of the energy the the weird thing about Lazenby and it's so funny because I uh you know we haven't even uh, discussed this yet but he's he shares so much screen time with actors that I uh, idolize mm -hmm. I mean Diana Dame Diana Rigg uh, is just uh, radiates off the screen and I can't imagine what that working relationship was like which was it was apparently some people have said it's contentious. They've both argued that it wasn't. Um, there was apparently like one bit where a, a, a reporter was on set and she made a joke about right before a love scene. She's like, I've eaten a lot of garlic for lunch, darling. I hope you're ready to kiss. And and so the <laughs> newspaper was like, Bond girl hates Bond, you know, <laughs> like, uh, but it, in the years since, like when he quit the role, she was like, he's impossible. I don't know what to even say about that. Like people were very disappointed in him. Mm -hmm. um, he's, I mean, te fucking Telly Savalas. We will get to him later. Uh, just the most charismatic son of a bitch on the planet, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. like you forget how good Telly Savalas was. Um, and it's, um, it's just so funny to think of this guy who's never acted before suddenly having to shoulder all of this and i think there are moments where he's truly fantastic mm -hmm. and there are moments where he is really dialed in makes sense for the moment but then there are shots 
where you look at him and it's like when you're at home with your dog and there's fireworks outside. <laughs> like there's shots in the movie where he's just sort of like, like he's, he doesn't <laughs> seem to know what's happening. Right. Or if he does, he's unbothered. You know? <laughs> um, but he had a really stressful time making this movie. And he also had a manager who was telling him, you know, spy movies are passe, counterculture, peace and love, baby. Like mm-hmm. there was this, this feeling that he couldn't do what he thought he was supposed to do in the coming decade. I mean, this is the end of the sixties. Right. And he's by the time he's doing press for this movie, he's being yelled at by the producers because he's grown a beard. <laughs> he's having, and he's already reached the point Connery reached in uh, you only live twice where he's telling interviewers, no motherfucker. I'm George Lazenby. James Bond is a character. Right. George Lazenby has long hair. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, and I, I get like for, for someone who's never been in the spotlight quite like that, it had to have been the craziest wake up call, like the strangest yeah. reversal. And I, I, I totally get why he couldn't hang. Yeah. I mean, that was the other thing that I took away from the interviews and whatnot I was watching is, is you know, they put him through all this stuff that, that mm-hmm. Sean, Sean Connery never had to go through. No, no, exactly. And, you know, uh, with the weight of, you know, he's one of the biggest movie stars in the world at this point. He's got some yeah. of the biggest movies that have ever mm-hmm. been made at this point. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of, sh- uh, you know, a lot of shoe to fill. And yeah. taking over that 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 position from Connery, and that's that's been the biggest thing about getting to this movie for me was the story mm-hmm. that goes behind, you know, this actor jumping into the role here, yeah. and then I mean, this has got to know... be the most preamble we've ever done, just because there's so much to unpack about why this movie is the way it is, and 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 not only just for the the actor, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. think they really do kind of play into that in this movie, and if we want to go ahead and start getting into that, yeah, absolutely, like. This movie opens a lot different than the past five movies we've watched. And he he puts he puts his own spin on the gun barrel. Mm-hmm. He kneels when he fires the shot, which and is I apparently think a great. big point of contention with the director. But yeah, I think it's excellent. And um, um, the the <clears throat> I want to go ahead and touch on the score here. We, John we, Barry, like just crushing it. We don't have the the typical theme song that we mm-hmm. get in this one either, but the 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 synth style yeah, oh, score. It's the that first movie to use a, a ton of synth. Yeah. yeah, the first movie in the series, anyway. And when we first started talking about doing this. Yeah. I was I was playing around with trying to do some some sort of a synthy sort of bond. Theme. I remember, yeah. And I remember I sent that to you and you're like, dude, great. And yeah. I feel like maybe one of the reasons you thought that at first because we <laughs> we haven't we've yeah. only used it in the first episode so far because mm-hmm. I wasn't too happy about uh, happy with what I did with it, but What I did there really sounds a lot like what they did for this score. It's true. And, you know, it's funny is because it's the best version of the synth Bond theme. Right. Genuinely. Because we get it again in a couple of the more movies and we real we really get it in License to Kill, which is scored by Bill Conti, who I think is a genius, mm-hmm. but like he is straight up doing what if Bond was also Miami Vice, <laughs> and, <laughs> which is also what that movie is. But I like 
that score is a war crime. And this version is like, I don't know, there's something kind of classy and sparing. And especially in the, I mean, one of the wild things about this movie is we don't really get that opening song. We get an instrumental and that instrumental is incredible and deployed perfectly throughout the movie. The theme song we get in the middle of the film. I Mm -hmm. mean, the, the, you know, quote unquote theme, there's a couple of different like recurring motifs in this movie that I just adore, but you're right. Right away. We get, we get a gun barrel with a kneel. We get Q with the, we we meet Q immediately talking Mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, miniaturization, uh, radioactive lint. So they can track their agents and whatnot. Yes. <clears throat> Which, you know, we would, we, you, we were talking a little bit off mic, but things that, you know, the, the Craig era kind of ran with, mm-hmm. you know, this is basically the lo-fi version of Smart Blood <laughs> from, <laughs> from Spectre and No Time to Die. Uh, we just put radioactive lint in their pockets that makes it easier to follow them. But Bond is missing. And I love how they introduce that here. And then it's just, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a where is James Bond? Where is James Bond? And it, it's almost a meta narrative, right? Like yes. we're, we're watching, the audience is wondering where is James Bond? I mean, we, we can maybe put a bit of it in here, but the the original trailer for this movie the, well, one of the posters is an outline of his body holding the gun with a question mark over its face. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the trailer for the movie, the narrator just keeps saying like, this Bond is different. He doesn't, you know, like, right. just, that, that's like the whole <laughs> gist of the trailer. And like, they don't even say George Lazenby until like the end of the trailer. It, but it's f- like three and a half minutes of like, when you cross this James Bond, he'll do this thing. And it's just, <laughs> it's, just it's wild to me, um, which I think maybe led to some of that weird internet theory that Bond is a code name because they, they really hammer it in in that trailer. But James is missing. And when we join him, he's kept in shadow while he's driving. I mean, he has the he even has the Connery silhouette with the hat. And I, you know, you just see him, you know, getting the cigarette out of the case, lighting the yeah. cigarette, following this car that just passed him. And yeah, he's he's silhouetted. He's kept out of frame for this entire opening. This and, could be a scene from Goldfinger or from Russia with Love. Yeah. And he's just following this car. Uh, you know, you don't get a good look at him until he's at this beach watching this woman just throw off her her, her stuff and go straight into the ocean. And, and walk into put, the sea. It yeah. puts you in a position from the beginning of this movie where you're like, okay, well, I mean, they're they're giving me some good mystery yeah. here because yes. we don't know, you know, A, we don't know who Bond is in this movie. Mm-hmm. B, we don't know who this is we're following. And, um, and this movie looks a lot more cinematic than the last ones. Oh my gosh. I mean, so one of the reasons they went with Peter hunt was they were like, you're the way you cut the way he cuts on action was not something that was really done. Right. I mean, it was, it was like a revolutionary thing and you can see it right from this first fight on the beach because these, these, he pulls Tracy out of the ocean. These thugs show up and bond, wrecks their shit and he but there's quick zooms and cuts on punches and yeah. the, the the way it is constantly snipping things up to make it either go fat this is how you do speed ramping and it works for me yeah it doesn't it doesn't the, the speed ramping here isn't as jarring as what we've seen in the other movies right. at this point and the fights at the beginning and throughout this entire movie are much better choreographed they're yes. a lot more uh they're intense cleaner. 
Yeah. And and just the the fight choreography in this movie is miles above anything we've seen in a in a Bond movie so far. That I mean, now you can see like of course this guy was cast on how he can throw a punch because he throws them like a motherfucker. Yeah. I mean, he is he this fight is great. He's beaten up a dude with an oar, he throws a net on somebody like um but he's also weirdly charming. I mean, the first time we really see his face is when he pulls her out, lays her on the beach and he goes, "Good morning." Yes. He's <laughs> just kind of he's already all smiles, but it looks like it really does the framing even is like the end of an ad. Like he's like, good morning. Would you like some Folgers? Like, you know, like, <laughs> and he's got a, a full, a, a full fledged, like open smile. Whereas yes. Connery is more or less of just kind of the smirk. You never really got a full on smile from it, him. Like yeah. That. Keeps it hidden. And this guy, there's so much life in this James to me. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, the, I mean, we'll, we'll I, you know what? There's a question that I will circle back to when we get to the end of this movie. Very much concerning the differences between them. But uh, yeah, we get this great fight. Tracy, Tracy steals his car so she can get back to her car, which I like a lot. I love it. It made me laugh the first it's time. It's a really funny bit. <laughs> and we get our first real fourth wall break. This never happened to the other fella. How do you feel about that joke? I think it works for this film. Yes. And it's so weird, right? It, it's weird, but knowing that we're coming into this new era of Bond with a new with a new casting for Bond, it's right. it's so tongue in cheek and 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 wink at the camera that it's just it's charming for me. Like right. I, I love that they put it there, and then they they don't really reference anything like that again. It's almost yes. like here's your introduction. Oh, this never happened to the other guy, and then okay, right. here's your new bond. This is this right. is who you're going to be in. following. But it also it, there is a little like you can tell that they were nervous because mm-hmm. I love this opening sequence. It's the simplest one we've gotten so far for sure. But it is literally previously on James Bond. You know? <laughs> right. Like it is. Let's watch the highlights. Let's see some Doctor No. Let's see some Goldfinger. Let's skip the Japanese the Japanese <laughs> one. Like there's no footage. There's like almost no footage of that movie. Um, and there's a couple of moments like that. There's the bit when Bond gets back to his office and he starts pulling stuff out of his desk drawer. And it's and all these got, little gadgets from the other movies. Bond's, and... Yeah, that's what Bond keeps in his junk drawer. It's like, <laughs> right. oh, my rebreather. Oh, you know? Which, honestly, this is the first time we've ever seen that Bond has an office in MI6. Like, right. he's usually just in and out of M's office and that's well, it. And you can tell that he's barely there because it's just a desk and maybe like a screen like the one I've got behind me. And right. like he is literally like, yeah, he's just like, oh, I keep my wristwatch with the garrote inside <laughs> the, inside this drawer next to all my files. But uh, yeah, I mean, we it, it, there's an interesting way. The movie is like structured very interestingly because we open with this, like you said, this kind of mystifying thing uh, that really tries to hammer home who is Bond? Who? Okay, here he is. He's already saved somebody, and then we get a classic casino scene. So, like, it, it like introduces him before we get like the tropes. And which the, I love. and yeah, that and the fact that like usually our introduction to Bond is is mm-hmm. you know some cold open uh, that involves the plot of the movie somehow, which this one mm-hmm. does, mm-hmm. but. You know, we get our, our typical let's go to M and find out what our mission is. Mm-hmm. Let's flirt, oh. let's flirt with Money Penny a little bit. This I mean, one, even, yeah, yeah. This one takes a little while to get us to that point because it, this movie realizes 
Tracy is the most important aspect of the, like the through line of this story, even though she does vanish for a big chunk of the movie. Yeah. Like she is the reason for this story. And I, I have to say like Diana Rigg. Oh, she's man. unbelievable. And she's she, gorgeous in she, this movie. She is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. She is so captivating every minute she's on the screen in this movie. Suppose I were to kill you for a thrill. I can think of something more sociable to do. She had just finished uh, on the Avengers. So like she she was like, you know, she's been doing spy stories for a few years at this point, And she was still just like, absolutely. I want to do this film. Mm-hmm. And and our introduction to her here at the casino. I mean, we've, we saw her on the beach. We kind of understand that, you know, that's the other thing that's kind of weird about this movie is. Yeah, you're left kind of out in the open for a little bit before you really know what's going on. You're here. like, what is her deal? And, and it's with her, with the story, with everything. And I think this movie is really where someone coming into the bond series as a newbie, someone like Mm -hmm. me and, and not knowing everything that went into these movies, watching them from the beginning, like here is where like a lot of things start to get kind of mishmash. Yeah. And as you talked about with, uh, you only live twice, this movie is supposed to take place before that, and it kind of causes continuity errors. Well, so so that's that's the thing I was going to tell you about. So this is the movie that is the closest to any of the books, even I think maybe even more than Casino Royale, because Casino Royale takes some liberties with the ending and some of the other details. Mm-hmm. But uh, this one, the book on Her Majesty's on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I talked about last time. This was the first meeting between Bond and Blofeld right. in the in the novels. And so that is why, and they were like, to their credit, they were like, fuck it, we're just gonna adapt the book. Mm-hmm. But you just had Blofeld meet Bond in the previous film. Right. So you can't have him, you know, can you know not recognize him when they see each other. You only live twice, Mr. Bond. I guess why they were gonna have him get plastic surgery so the story would work, and then they threw away that idea. So you're still, yeah, you like you said, you're left with these weird continuity questions. Um, but I kind of I kind of appreciate that they were like, let's just do this story justice on its own terms. Right. Like there's there's things about it that I do really fuck with, but it it that is such a strange choice, right? Yeah, um, and I mean that and that's the biggest thing I wanted to touch on is just someone mm-hmm. coming into the series not knowing any of that background. Yeah, it, it can be very confusing for anybody coming in. Like if I didn't have you walking me through these movies, <laughs> sure. it would be very difficult. And I think that's where a lot of like the people getting a little uh, mixed up with the Bond movies and oh sure, what what takes place where or is there a through line between all of the Bond films? And it, and, and it is funny because this movie does some really fun, subtle things to try to ease you into the fact that it's a new bond Mm -hmm. and i almost wonder if maybe during production there was some thought of maybe we'll edit out references to the previous movies right and then they try to kind of try to go for both where Mm -hmm. they're like some of this happened maybe it didn't all happen the same way right um which i kind of you know as a comic book fan who's gone through you know six different final crises is uh, you know i'm like i've gotten used to the fact that okay i'm reading about how superman and batman met for the first time for the fifth time yeah uh, you know so like i get it i was i was talking to somebody recently about um about the uh, you know the book of boba fett and how i was frustrated that it was you know mando season 2.5 for right. most of it and he said yeah but like 
you read six X-Men comics a week <laughs> or a month, and you're not mad that Cable is referencing things that are happening in the New Mutants. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Uh, and so I, I kind of try to, with this movie, I try to take a little bit of a selective continuity. Yeah. I think that's the only way to really approach it because you're, you're right. It doesn't quite work, but on at the same time, they're doing stuff like he gets to the hotel and they know him. They're like, I mm -hmm. think this will, we can look after your special needs. We got you this outside bed. Cause we know you like to fuck in the moonlight. <laughs> and there's like, there's just so much history here. And I, you know, I, I it's, it's those moments that kind of, keep me going through the story also the fact that i don't love you only live twice so i'm kind of fine omitting it yeah. from my from the continuity of this film yeah and i mean it just you grow up with the pop culture of these movies sure. and knowing that aspect of them and again not watching them so like we mm -hmm. touched on with you only live twice i was under the impression that donald pleasance was going to be around for more bond movies not, mm -hmm. not the case and right. then you know here we have the same character played by a different actor so of course okay well they've met in the last movie no in this movie they didn't meet or, or you know, right. they haven't already met so and i'm willing to throw that away in this one i think ultimately this movie does succeed at giving you yeah. a, a very a very good movie without really having to get into the the why as yeah. to why all this is happening and it is it's funny because i i watch this movie maybe once a year like mm -hmm. i it's one that i revisit often um and i <laughs> it wasn't until we were watching them chronologically that it really hit me that it doesn't really quite line up mm -hmm. and i was still just sort of like well whatever this is a better movie <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? like, and, and if it wasn't a good movie it would be harder to accept that absolutely but yeah i, I think you know uh, this this could have you know been a soft reboot of sorts back in that day nobody mm -hmm. knew what the fuck that was but and i think it kind of was i think they were like if this is our guy now let's take what worked and move forward with mm -hmm. something new and, uh, you know, I, I wish to this day, I wish we had gotten w at least one more with Lazenby, you know, like there's just something, there's something about him where I, you know, I feel like oh, it's the weirdest thing as the movie goes on. I think he gets better to the point where I was like, did they shoot this chronologically? Right. You know, <laughs> like, and I, and I feel like if he had gotten one more, we maybe would have gotten something even more special. And, uh, but as it stands, I mean, immediately, I think he has fantastic chemistry with Diana Rigg. There's oh, that, yeah. that great scene where she is betting all of her money and then tells them, oh, I don't have any money because she's she's got a death wish. She's she's out for trouble. She's trying yeah. to start trouble. And Bond just says, Madam has forgotten. We agreed to be partners this evening. <laughs> um, and, and, and her introduction at the at the at the card table mm -hmm. i mean this is this is going to be the the male pig in me but like that shot of her low-cut dress and it's just oh, like i mean hello her costume <laughs> the costuming in this film is incredible i mean and it doesn't end with that dress i mean her 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 bullfighting outfit is yeah. amazing. Bond gets some great skirts in this movie. I mean, everybody's everybody's showing off their gams and yeah. everybody's looking amazing in this film. I mean, she's immediately his match. She knows his name before he tells her. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing that's crazy about this yeah. movie is like she gets you, the drop on him. She gets the drop on him. But, uh, you know, you don't really get any context as other than the fact that he saw her walk into the ocean. 
Right. As to like, you know, I, I was led to assume that there was something between them before this happened at the beach, right. but it could, it just could feasibly just, her. it could yeah, just he, be something that he witnessed, you know? So this is the one big change really from the novel where at this point in the story, in the book, he has been asked by Draco to keep an eye on her. Ah. And, and so he sees her going into the ocean, saves her and then follows her to the hotel. In this version, it's a little more altruistic where mm-hmm. he sees it happen, saves her. And then is like, I should check up on her. Right. And then follows her to the hotel. Um, uh, this hotel, which has wild bisexual lighting. Like it is, <laughs> it looks like a giallo film in this bitch. Like he, there's purple wallpaper. The purple red walls lights. are amazing, dude. I mean, that <laughs> doesn't it look like that's where Morris Day like summers. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> I, I, I had on my notes, I was like, there will be a Prince reference here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, no, uh, J- but James, she's like, yeah, come to my room later. James gets jumped by one of the dudes from the beach. Uh, smashes a chair on him. The fight is great. This movie has the crunchiest sound effects. Yes. Like when someone gets hit, it's like a, Mm -hmm. like there's, they do this weird like echo effect sometimes that really like drives it. It's very dated, but it's fun. I think they do a really good job of making you believe that these aren't stage punches and stuff in this movie. Because the, again, the choreography with the fighting, I think they kind of caught on to the fact that, well, if we're going to continue to keep doing this, we need to up the ante now. We need Mm -hmm. to get, and I think again, they had someone other than Sean Connery that they could put Mm -hmm. in that position. You can tell that it's Lazenby doing a lot oh, of this these yeah, stunts that was the other so he actually broke his arm <laughs> during this movie <laughs> there is a scene where if you look really closely i think it's when he meets draco he's like positioned away from the camera so mm-hmm. you can't see his arm uh because he was acting a fool during this shoot and like but yeah you're, you're right i mean we, we we told that story about how i think it was during thunderball yeah, Connery goes like, I'm not going anywhere near a fucking shark. Right. <laughs> and you could tell this guy was like, you throw three sharks at me. I don't care. Like, right. let's do this. Uh, I don't know that that's crazy. Um, but we also, this continues the trend that kind of started in the last one of Bond knowing everything. There's a couple of moments in this movie where he has absurd knowledge and it yeah. gets even more heightened in the roger moore era to like batman levels of like well of course i anticipated you'd do this but he beats this guy up tastes the caviar and knows where it's from yeah royal beluga north of the caspian well it's it's like the it's like the scene in you only live twice where he goes ugh, japanese vodka yeah you know (laughs) or siamese vodka that's what it is of course i love sake (laughs) um he gets back to his room he's got on a ruffly shirt which like could you tell this movie was a big influence on austin powers oh for sure there's a big portion of the third act that i want to get into oh yeah oh yeah uh so he gets back to his room he's got the ruffly shirt and she's got a gun on him and he interrogates her i mean it's a it's a tough sequence but he he says uh she says you know i'm just a woman you bought you know he goes i don't owe you you don't owe me a thing i think you're in some sort of trouble Mm -hmm. you know he he just wants to make sure she's okay i mean there's always the little bit of james bond where it's like i am also here to have sex with you (laughs) i uh and and there's a there's a change to the way those scenes play out in this movie that i think i 
with Connery, and I, I promise I like Sean Connery in the role, like, but <laughs> I, cause I feel like I just slag on him so much, but like, there's a menace to Connery, right? Like yeah. there's, and, and a lot of it I think is intentional in the way he plays the character as like for queen and country first, you mm-hmm. know, everything else second. And, but there is a, and part of this might be because Lazenby's not an actor or wasn't an actor. There's a wide-eyed sincerity to he the way a, he plays these scenes. He has a boyish nature to him. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's absolutely that's it. Yeah. Where where how I touched on with the Sean Connery movies, how like it's hard for me to picture the fact that he was younger than I am now in the in that role <laughs> because that fucked up. Right, yeah. cuz like he just seems like an older distinguished gentleman even well, though he like, was in his mid 30s at that point in time. Lazenby like, is 29 in yes. this movie. And like he he brings 29 with city miles. I mean, he grew (laughs) up in Australia fighting all sorts of critters. (laughs) But he he brings a wide eyed, bushy tailed, like boyish nature to the role. And and I think I think part of that is, uh, you know, I was telling. So uh, my best friend, Ashley, my co-host of Oh, That's a Scary Movie, does not like James Bond, but I. got very drunk during a recording session and uh, as I am wont to do and explained, like I was described, I was literally acting out like the last act of this movie for her. <laughs> and, and she's like, so what is it about this guy that you like? And I said, I think what it is, is he has no instincts. Yeah. There's, there's no sense of, Oh, that's not a thing I should do when you're, I mean, I, I'm, I'm an actor sometimes and I think that I get really in my head about how does this look to someone else? How do I how do I portray this particular character in this particular moment? What is my motivation? Mm-hmm. And I think with Lazenby, there is a an inkling or there's a sense of I'm just gonna do the damn thing. Yeah. Oh, I show that you cast me as James Bond. That's great. There's a there is an incredible there's a Time magazine article from back in the day when when production started where he said. I'm very excited to play James Bond for the bread and for the birds. And I'm like, motherfucker, that's, that's great. That sounds like James. And like, I was just like, there's a simplicity to his approach to this role, which is, yeah, I've never acted before. I've been asked to play James Bond. Okay. You know, there's like a schoolyard acting it out kind of thing. And honestly, um, like, I think, I think he comes, I, I think he comes with it full force in this and it works. Yes, like, yeah. And, and, you know, I can understand a lot of people not liking this movie because they're attached to Connery or, or, or Moore, Roger Moore is their bond. And, and I'm whatever. not saying he's like revelatory, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a rough around the edges uh, quality to his performance. Uh, but there, when he works, I think it he works because no one's ever told him you shouldn't do that. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, and I, I just think it's this perfect confluence of things like that. Uh, uh, I mean, even his reaction to tr- waking up in the morning and realizing Tracy, like in, in you know, Liz Fair style fucked and ran. <laughs> yeah. Uh, has made her side of the bed taken his gun and <laughs> left money for him yep. <laughs> he just has this kind of bemused like huh, okay yeah i mean <laughs> Which the, i love and that's the other thing about this movie is you've got him and i think he and diana rigg have great chemistry together i agree yeah um and i think the movie needs 
40% more of her. And, and we'll get to that in just yeah. a little bit when he gets to uh, Blofeld's place. Sure. Cause that's, that's, that would honestly be where I think the movie kind of drops off a little bit for me Sure, for a minute. Um, but I'm loving everything with him and her at this yeah. point. And it's really, again, like we haven't gotten to MI6. We haven't gotten Mm-mm. what our, what our mission it's, is for this it's movie. It's a fully different film. Yeah. Right. And it's just um, him really pursuing her and, and wanting his knowledge about Blofeld at this point. Mm-hmm. And these new, these, I think these new kind of tactics for the film are really smartly broken up by things we recognize. I mean, we get that opening that's very unconventional. Then he goes to the hotel, he goes to a casino. Mm-hmm. Then we get another unconventional meet cue with the Bond girl. And then uh, this is followed by a scene that we know very well at this point escorted at gunpoint out of a hotel and he's being a little <laughs> punk about it uh we see a janitor whistling goldfinger the second fourth wall breaking <laughs> moment of the film which is so strange um but this fight in the hallway so quick so furious he beats the hell out of these guys goes into the next room and the shot as he's kneeling down with the knife in his hand and the camera zooms in mm-hmm. is one of the things I think about instantly when I think of this movie. I yeah. just think the guy does a lot of posing, right? Like <laughs> right. that's kind of what he's learned how to do. And he's like, "Well, if I was sailing a knife, that's how I do." You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, but this is where we are uh, are introduced to uh, Draco, uh, played by uh, Gabriel Verzetti who is Tracy's father and Draco is a crime Lord, uh, but he's got, he's got a real heart to him. He's a very, he's a real Karen Bay type character yeah. from, from with love. And he, this sequence where he's talking about his wife and, you know, the strings come in is just a very beautiful monologue. And, and, and how like, Contessa was the product of him and her right. and, and all and of that. Like, yeah, there's a my, sincerity to him and you almost forget that this is, this is, this is in a sense, a bad guy that we're, that he's we're meeting cop, right yeah, now. He's, he's like, literally like the head of the mob, you yeah. know? I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite bits in the movie is toward the end when he and M are just like, so we've killed a lot of each other's guys, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. like, it's pretty great. You know, and M's like, oh yeah, 64. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> uh, but he, he says, you know, my, my Teresa lost her husband. Uh, you know, she got married out of at a young age, out of spite, essentially. And he's like, I just want to know that she's okay. And Draco has these very antiquated notions of what a relationship is. And he's the things he's saying to Bond is almost what we've come to expect Bond to say in these right. movies at this point. You know, he's like, she needs a man to dominate her. And... Mm-hmm you know, make her fall in line. And Bond is basically like, I don't think I can do that. Your your daughter's wonderful, but like, she doesn't seem like she's the kind of person who's going to listen to me. Right. And he goes, I will pay you a million pounds. And <laughs> I love the delivery as, of, but I don't need a million pounds. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um but, but yeah, he still he still yeah. finds a way to play it to his advantage. You have uh, you you have contacts that are unknown to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are the, I want the whereabouts of Ernst Stavro Blofeld. Yep. Uh, and uh, I I just he's like okay you you date my daughter I will tell you where to find Blofeld. Come to my birthday party in a week. <laughs> like it's just very like weirdly transactional, and there's still like a weird 
sweetness to the way Bond is playing this. I mean, uh, to the way uh, Lazenby's playing this, where he and a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's just kind of smiley, smirky through the yeah. whole thing, where mm-hmm. he's just like, "Okay, I'll I'll do what you want, but like you have to understand what the bottom line is for me." Right. Um, and then finally, finally, we get to see Money Penny. James, where have you been? Much too far from you. <laughs> Every time Money Penny is on screen in this movie, yeah. it almost breaks my heart. Oh my god, absolutely. I mean, she also gets another great one, uh, you know, fourth wall line. Same old James, only more so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he comes in, throws his hat, uh, and says M is expecting him. Mm-hmm. And this scene between Bernard Lee and and uh george lazenby is one of my favorite m scenes in the whole series yeah i there's something about the the business as usual nature and the way that he won't allow himself to sympathize with bond directly you know a license to kill is useless unless you can set up a target right Uh, you've been taken off of operation bedlam which is the search for specter and blofeld and james James says, you know, tries to make his case. And the way M just says, that's all, that's all. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, it's crushing, right? And then you get the the add-on of him just going back to Money Penny and where they were being very playful with one another. It's become very serious. I want and you he's to like, take down my resignation yeah. from Her Majesty's Secret Service and kindly present it to that monument in there. It's one, <laughs> uh, it's one of the best lines. Uh and he, yeah, he goes, he packs his desks full of props from previous films. He does a toast to the queen. Yep. Um, uh, and M instead lets him take a leave of absence. And it's played as though Money Penny wrote that down because mm-hmm. she's like, well, you didn't really want to quit, did you? Money Penny, what will I do without you? My problem is that you never do anything with me. It's a date. The moment I get back. Where are you off to? Oh, just someplace to laze about. And he kisses her right on I mean, the he's lips. He full on gives yep. her a kiss, and the, like their their energy is different in mm-hmm. this movie. There is, um, and again, it doesn't feel unearned. We've seen four movie, five movies of her pining for James, yes. and this is the first time where you're like, maybe, maybe there is something there. Like maybe they have slept together, or you know, there is an unrequited like love for one another but a but a duty first kind of thing and if you don't and if you don't get that from the middle of this movie the absolutely will get it at the end oh my god absolutely uh the call that she gets from him what would i do without you miss money penny thank you and uh you know he 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 goes to um so he goes to Draco's party. Tracy's there. She's not happy to see him. She sees through this shit immediately. She's like, so what deal did he make with Papa? You know? That's that's the other thing I really love about Contessa is like mm-hmm. she she is never played dumb. Like, oh, no, she, she is a strong character throughout this she movie. She sees him yes. from the beginning. Absolutely. She sees him and sees through him. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and there's some great bits where Bond is just like, look, I told you this wasn't going to fucking work. Uh, Draco says something like, she likes you, I can see it. And he says, you must give me the name of your Oculus. And so she comes back and she says, look, uh, I don't want to be part of this weird little game you're playing with a man I barely know. Mm -hmm. Tell him what he wants to know or you'll never see me again. 
And so he says, all right, I want you to, you should investigate a lawyer named Gumbulb. Um, and this is also where I wrote down bullfighting looks terrible. Yeah. Like this is a bad thing that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> it's never been very appealing to me. No. Um, but I, I, she, she runs away and this is the first inkling that we get that she's, she's tired of being pulled in different directions and used by men for their own gain, you know, and he, he knows that he's fucked up. He mm -hmm. knows that he's hurt her feelings because I think he actually, it, it feels like he actually felt something that night, you know? Right. And so he goes to her and I, and I love this line where he, he turns her around. She's, she refuses to let him see her cry. Mm -hmm. And he says, I've always thought mistakes should be remedied, especially between friends or lovers. And we get our first falling in love montage in a bond movie riding horses through the <laughs> it doesn't it feel, it's like the opening credits of an episode of the bachelor but it works for me man <laughs> or it's very similar to the uh the new batman movie where catwoman and batman riding their bikes through gotham oh, city 100 <laughs> percent. yes yeah so yeah we get this montage set to louis armstrong's we have all the time in the world which mm. was written by John Barry and Hal David, who was um, Burt Bacharach's guitarist mm -hmm. at the time. He wrote the lyrics. And this was one of the final songs Louis Armstrong recorded. Um, wow. uh, it was it was this thing where, you know, it's a it's the final line in the novel. And they were like, this this would work. The reason they didn't do a theme song for a sung theme song for Honor Majesty's Secret Service was they realized we can't possibly have someone sing those words like we can't work that into uh, unless john barry was like the only way we could do it is if we did it as like a gilbert and sullivan like pirates of penzance style like musical number like on a majesty's secret service like it was just they, like we couldn't make it work it wouldn't work so, like they made thunderball work in thunderball <laughs> right i was just like you i think you guys gave up but um yeah, briefly, they were going to try to write a song for that. And then they wrote, we have all the time in the world. And they felt Louis Armstrong was the only person who could sing it with sincerity and a little bit of like bitter sarcasm at the same time. Yeah. Like they were like, it's it's not, it is meant to be depressingly ironic. Right. You know, Um, and it's a, it's such a good song. I, yeah. I love this song. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. And yeah, we, we see them kissing. We see them at the zoo. We see them riding horses. They pick out, she points at a ring that she likes in the mm -hmm. window, um, which if you look, this ring actually went up for auction a few years ago. And uh, fuck, if I, if I was ever going to crowdfund for something, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be that or the Aston Martin from Goldfinger. But like it, um, it's actually the words we have all the time in the world, like uh, as a ring. Oh, I didn't see uh, that look very closely. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. And it ends, the montage ends with this great shot of them riding in Draco's car with him in the middle. And they're just kind of like smiling sweetly at just each other. Smitten, yeah. Like <laughs> Am I just, just like giving those knowing glances. And when you want to talk about how great their chemistry is, they're saying so much there with zero dialogue. Yeah. It's perfect. And it's, it's, um, it's something you've not really seen and seen bond do in any of these movies not. so far. No. 
Um, again, you nailed it with your prediction of what this movie was about. <laughs> um, so we, we, uh, but he's gone to Gumbold's place mm-hmm. to uh, investigate. And we get one of our very few gadgets in the movie, which is this big ass safe cracker device <laughs> plus a printer. I mean, he gets a fucking photocopier. Um, in, the, in the in the past movies, we've seen the gadgets get you know smaller or they're yeah. a vehicle of some sort. And this one, right. it takes a crane to deliver oh, it to our hero, <laughs> sent up by Bobo Jackie Earl Haley, like who's on the ground uh, playing Bernard. Uh, I wish I I wish I had this actor's name, but he's I love this guy. Um, you know, we always get like a little bit of a you know an assistant character. This is Bernard is like he's the quarrel of this film yeah. he's the you yeah. know uh with like very few lines but uh yeah he sends stuff up bond takes off his watch and like looks kind of bored he mm-hmm. looks through a playboy <laughs> which he takes home with him yep <laughs> <laughs> um again very like a, a more boyish sort of traits that they're yes. playing on in this one where yes you know the connery was coming across a lot more um you know distinguished Sure. And he's just kind of like, oh, there's boobs in this one. Um, (laughs) But he copies these documents. He finds documents from uh, a man named Beauchamp and leaves with the Playboy magazine. (laughs) And we get maybe my favorite, one of my favorite exchanges of dialogue in the film where, you know, uh, Draco is like, I don't like how this is going. You know, I, I know what's best for you. I'm your father. And she goes, what could be better than being in love? Mm-hmm. And he says, Mr. Bond loves you. And she says, that may come to someday. <sighs> Which yeah. it's so different on a rewatch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but and it's, then, it's and then even it, bit. Even even you know his response to her at that he's like well let yeah. me talk to him and she's like no 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 this like, is for us yeah you you don't need to be involved here and I and I but it's it's interesting because it shows it's the first movie to ever acknowledge because we get we get Sylvia Trench in the first couple of movies mm-hmm. who assume uh, presumably you know it lets her you know never asks him any questions when he comes back from a mission um, and she knows who he is right. And she's like, I I know that I'm fighting an uphill battle being in love with James Bond. Right. Um, but I'm I, I don't know any other way now. And right. and there's something beautiful and sad about that. And that it's, it just adds so much more depth to Tracy's character. Um what and, doesn't add oh go ahead. Well, I mean, in 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 saying that, I mean even though this movie is having a lot of fun playing into some of the old tropes here and um, maybe not be, being as over the top as any of the last five movies were. Um, it's the first movie to really acknowledge the toxicity of James Bond. Yes. And there's 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 a sense of dread you feel throughout yes. the entire movie. Yeah. Even before you know where it's going, you just, you're just like, God, I want these kids to figure it out, (laughs) you know? And I think it has a lot to do with our introduction to her. I mean, she's trying to commit suicide when he meets her. Right. And, you know, as we go through this movie, we see this love develop. And, you know, at the time, maybe you weren't really looking into it that much, but with all the time in the world and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff and now bonds in love. He gives her a reason to live. Mm -hmm. And later in the film, I mean, when she reappears in the Alps, it mm-hmm. is like an angel has come down to rescue him. Especially sees, at that moment. He sees yeah. her as the miracle she is. Right. 
And uh, I just, there's something just so pure and wonderful about this relationship, even though I think the movie makes a couple of missteps <laughs> that unfortunately are tied to the source material, but, <laughs> about, but we will, we will get about, to them. about 12 missteps. <laughs> he makes, yes. Yeah. Speaking of angels, we'll get to the angels in yeah. a little bit. Um, but before we get to angels, we have other winged creatures because now we know bond knows all about lepidoptery. <laughs> Uh, because we, M is pinning butterflies in his uh, off time. And uh, he goes, I didn't realize you had an uh, interest in lepidoptery. And he goes, well, that one's unusually small for an Imphalus polychloris. Like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> you pretentious uh, dick. <laughs> and he tells him, like, look, I've got, I've got uh, research that'll lead me straight to Blofeld. Mm -hmm. And he says, you were taken off of Operation Bedlam. And Bond just goes like, well, I assumed you'd reassign me. <laughs> yes. Which I love. I mean, this whole sequence is so good. Um, but Bond meets with Sir Hilary Bray, <laughs> uh, a, 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 not a geneticist. What is his, like, he's like, uh, what is the word for what he does? Hang on. Genealogist. Yeah, he's a genealogist and he's a, he's a herald in the College of Arms. And he's just like, look, this um he he says i've i've arranged a meeting with him under the auspices of learning my family motto which is the world is not enough uh, -huh. uh bond talks with him and says i'm going to take your place we keep getting the, you keep getting these letters from a man uh who says he is the 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 count de uh, blochamp mm -hmm. i believe it is a you know matter of national security that i meet with this man because he's not who he says he is and and Hillary Bray goes, of course, uh, I think you should bring him. Look, you'll there's a couple of things you need to know if he's actually part of this family, if he's part of this family of nobles, because this guy wants to get his count countship approved mm -hmm. um, or recognized uh, by the College of Arms. He goes, there's a couple of things you need to know. This family doesn't have earlobes and uh, you should bring him to the ancestral grounds uh, so you can see the tombs where, you know, where his ancestors are. And he goes. Yes, if he is our man, I'd like to get him away from Switzerland. <laughs> very great. Um, so Bond flies to the Alps, mm -hmm. and for the next 30 minutes of screen time, is dubbed by another actor. <laughs> I'd uh, heard George about Baker. that. Yeah. And um and yeah, I mean uh, it's the it's the same actor who plays uh the doctor, I think. Hillary Bray. Yeah, yeah. Who, so who he's does... he's supposed to be impersonating Hillary Bray. And apparently this was something that Lazenby didn't know was happening until he was at the premiere. Mm. Like he was like, I, I did like a posh accent and apparently they just didn't like how it turned out. So yeah. they changed it. Um, I get why they did it, but it's such a bummer to like know that he saw the movie and that's when he found out that yeah. like, you know, a fourth of his screen time has someone else's voice on it. And, um, and that I think, I mean, around, around this area too, like, I think this is, uh, Lazenby had also like was on set shooting for a long period of time. Yeah. And there was like a get together they did with all of the, the crew and actors and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And he quote unquote, wasn't invited or, or oh, something really? to that nature. Oh, I there, didn't was, know about this. there was some drama to it. And, um, you know, he, he yeah. kind of got a little down in the dumps about it. And he was like, I'm the star of the picture and no one invited me to this. Well, that, another reason why it, it makes sense why he would be like, I don't know that I want to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, just to okay. kind of feel like, you know, you weren't you weren't part of the the bigger picture in, in a sense, you know. Right. Well, and, and what's interesting, though, 
so the, there's those all those stories about him saying Peter Hunt forced him to be isolated to get mm-hmm. a better performance out of him. But there's also stories about him playing regular poker games with Telly Savalas after hours. Padium comes in cash. So my briefcase got so stacked up with cash, I'd open it and be falling out. And so Telly saw it. He said, hey, you want to play some cards? And Harry heard about it. So Harry came up to the set and Telly said, no, 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 Harry, no. Anyway, he wanted back all my money. Put in my briefcase, shut up, and he said, I'll leave my boy alone. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> which I wish I could be there. Um, but uh, yeah, we were also introduced by uh, Ilsa Stepat as uh, Irma Bunt. Mm-hmm. Which reminded me a, reminded me a lot of the 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 woman from um, from Russia with Love. I know sure, it's a di- very, different actress, yes. but uh, reminded me of character, that character yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Well, between those two characters, you've got Frau Forbissenau, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. from from Austin Powers. Yep. Bring in the vampires. Um, and Irma Bunt uh, is is an interesting character because she's explicitly if i remember correctly is in a relationship with blofeld in the in the book ah okay um like she is like utterly devoted to him mm-hmm. but here she's just kind of like the hard ass you know and she's there's a lot of establishing shots and of as they approach this clinic uh that the count is at and they joke about him not having any like uh not being very sporting he has no like <laughs> He's no like athleticism. Right. And she's just kind of very matter of fact. He keeps trying to joke with her. And she says like, uh, the, the count wants to leave his mark on the entire world. <laughs> and, and I love this where he goes, characteristic ambition of a true humanitarian. <laughs> you know, like, uh, he, he's barely keeping it together. Um, as they enter the coolest ice tunnel that I've ever seen. Like, I want one so the bad. Cave. I mean, we're getting, yeah. We finally see Blofeld over the shoulder shot. He's got mm-hmm. his cat. And what a voice. Yeah. Provide him with the usual comforts. And, you know, Tali Savalas, uh, miles better than uh, Donald Pleasance yeah. in this, as right? this character. Surprising, right? Uh, this, like you, yeah. you think Donald Pleasance, what a what a fucking slam dunk. But like Telly Savalas has this. He's an elevated thug. Mm-hmm. He plays Blofeld. it very cold, whereas oh, yeah. uh, uh, um, Pleasance is playing it a lot more theatrically. I think. Yes, absolutely. No, Pleasance is playing like a science fiction villain, mm-hmm. and and Savalas is playing the reality of the situation. He, he's 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 Bane in this movie. <laughs> well, you know what I kept thinking was I I was like fuck, why in the world did we never get Telly Savalas? I mean, uh, Gene. I would never trade Gene Hackman for the world, but like Telly Savalas as Lex Luthor. Can <laughs> yeah. you imagine? You know. I'm going to sink Metropolis and sell the real estate. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. I will give you Otisburg, Irma. <laughs> uh, yeah, and but we get it. You know, we get a customary Bond checking out his room. You know, he can't leave. It, mm-hmm. It's a very Doctor No kind of setup where yep. he's in this like really nice hotel room, but he's not allowed to step out unless he's told to. Right. Um, and he busts out his dinnerware, and we get James Bond in a kilt. Yep. And I mean, it's it's a hell of a look for the guy. 
Absolutely. And uh, but what I find funny here is we're, we're introduced to our angels of death. Well, yes. we don't know that yet, but right. Um, but and they're they, really only called that in the trailer or right. in the uh, in the credits rather. And um, you know they all they all love him, but they also think that he's gay. Yes, and I think. I think he, I think George Baker is playing that through his vocal performance, but I don't think Lazenby. This is the one part of the movie, and part of it is the disconnect between the voice and the actor. Uh-huh. But this is the one part of the movie where I was like, Lazenby will not allow himself to play Fem. Right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's something that I was like, this is the one thing where I'm like, he does not. I don't think he's trying to meet the requirements of this scene yeah because he's supposed to be playing very you know aloof and unaware and uh you know immediately i mean i don't know if you noticed one of the the english girl of the angels of death is joanna lumley from uh from fucking uh shit uh, absolutely fabulous like she's like a <laughs> she's like an icon uh but so she's the, the but she has like one line in the movie we get um Nancy, the Hungarian girl, asks, what's a gyna genealogist? Like, there's a couple of, like, really <laughs> yeah. fun, like, airhead kind of jokes. And, uh, and the main reason I bring that up is because, like, I didn't, like you said, I like, I didn't get that from the character watching it play out on screen. Right. Um, until they You men- only get that from dialogue, right? Yeah, until they mention it to him. They're like, oh, I thought you, I thought you didn't like girls. Mm-hmm. Or something yeah. like that. And, well, he um, plays he plays kind of dumb, right? And yeah. I think that that's their way of being like, "There's twelve women here, and you're not losing your mind, right?" Um, you know, she, uh, we, uh, Angela Scalar as uh, Ruby Bartlett, the 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 girl who's allergic to chickens, yeah, that is <laughs> so fun. I I love her performance. Mm-hmm. She busts his chops when she hears he's a baronet. She's like, "Well, that's not quite as good of a bar- as a baron." Um, <laughs> And everyone is basically doing like aversion therapy. Like they're eating what they used to be allergic to. Delicious. I used to hate chicken. This would make me break up. It's all over. We'd be surprised where. Um, <laughs> she literally like looks at him and goes, like gnaws on a fucking chicken bone. Like I, it's insane. Um, there's some questionable stuff here about where they're like, oh, what do these nationalities eat? And they yeah. just show certain nationalities eating certain foods. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, uh, it's tough by today's standards, but I don't, this one, I'm like, I don't think that's entirely on purpose. Right. Um, but it, there's this bit where he's he's talking about, we get a, a full on lecture about, coats of arms uh <laughs> and he says they can include all sorts of weird things like gold balls mine has four arms, actually, which includes four of them if you'd care to see them i'd love to i mean because because you know ladies i wish jenny lou was here because i'd be like <laughs> if, you, if you heard a guy had four, four balls, balls would you be like oh my god <laughs> um, <laughs> But she, Ruby, writes her room number on his thigh, and supposedly, according to according to Lazenby, Kate, like someone in catering gave him like a sausage that they warmed up in a microwave, <laughs> and put that under his kilt to like prank her when she like reached in, and she just did, she just did the take without even reacting. Wow, which I think is so funny. Is anything the matter? 
just a slight stiffness coming on. Um, <laughs> but they, they, he finally meets Blofeld and he goes through that fun little purple rain sanitation field. Yep. Uh, and uh, th- this sequence is so good if you can put aside the fact that they should know each other. Yeah. Um, I mean, classic Blofeld lines, the methods of the great pioneers have often confused conventional minds. Um, and, you know, he just kind of basically says, like, look, I'm not convinced that you're a count, but that's why what I'm here to find out. I right. will let you know. I'll get back to you. You should come visit your ancestral grounds to me. Let me <laughs> deport you, please. You know, like he's literally trying to, like, arrest him. Um Bond goes back to his room, and this is when you find out that Ruby takes a long time to write the number eight. <laughs> like she's writing for like a full 30 seconds, and he then he has a perfect eight on his thigh. She was um, taking her time, man. <laughs> uh and the thing that I the thing that I uh respect about this bond is he gets that number and he still stays up late doing genealogy research. Like there's <laughs> papers all over this fucking desk. And I love this sequence where he finds the booby, like he finds the sensor on the door, mm-hmm. the electric sensor, grounds it with an eraser, and uses like a, a, a like a ruler to like trip the sensor and open the door. It's a good little bit that like doesn't over explain itself for right. the audience. And then there's when the when the girl comes later, he's like, How'd you get out? And she goes, Nail file. Oh, he's like, <laughs> Just, I wish I'd known. Yeah. Uh, and th- but this is interesting because he tells he tells Ruby she's like I thought you didn't like girls and he goes normally I don't but you're special <laughs> and tells her to call him Hilly and this sequence the full scene of dialogue is repeated later like he uses the same lines on mm-hmm. the next girl and this is like one of the few times where we kind of get the feeling that. I mean, Bond obviously enjoys sex, but like this is happening because the mission is calling for it. Right. Sort of kind of thing where he's like, he's like, I know she's interested in me. I know she'll talk and I can find out more things if I get closer to her. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a, it's a weird thing where there's, there's not, I mean, there's moments where you can tell he's enjoying himself, but there's other moments where you're like, this is like rote for him. You know what I mean? And this is where I, I I started to have a little bit of a take back in this movie because the course the core story of this movie essentially is the love story between Bond and Tracy he and, and Tracy he fucks like three girls at this clinic and yeah he's like one every hour on the hour basically yeah he's like you right. come at eight you come at nine you come at ten that, that, that's one of my favorite <laughs> jokes in the movie he goes he goes uh, nine ten yep. you know like, <laughs> um. Yeah, it, it, we, I mean, we learned that every night these girls have to listen to an insane tape from Blofeld. Um, I've and, told you to love chickens, to love their flesh, their voice, <laughs> their voice. But this is where we got Fembots from. Hello, hello. Hello, Mr. Powell. 100%. I, I fully agree. Yeah, this and like in like Flint are like the two big Austin Powers inspirations, I think. Hey! in like Flint that's my favorite movie uh, he tells Irma the next day like oh my stiffness has been taken care of uh, from last night he can't he can't curl like at all he's he's not good at sports um and Bernard is taken captive while trying to get to bond Mm -hmm. 
Um, and they are very like matter of fact with him when he's trying to get up there. It's like, oh, you're making it pretty obvious that you don't want anybody up on this this mountain. Yeah, right. And, and meanwhile, Blofeld keeps calling Bond's bluffs. He's like, well, you already took the morning off. Well, we can't go to Augsburg because the archives will be closed at Christmas. So you should, mm -hmm. you should probably stick around for the next couple of days. And Bond gets knocked out while you know, going to visit Ruby. Mm -hmm. And this is the one bit of slow-mo in the movie that I hate. The shot of him getting knocked out where he's like, <laughs> like he's got his eyes kind of like rolled up in his head. Yeah. Um, And B Blofeld is like, look, I know you're James Bond because one, you don't know where the family tombs are. And two, no self-respecting genealogist would fuck all of my patients. <laughs> <laughs> But he continues to try and keep his keep his cover through it though. Like he, yeah. he's like, I don't know what you mean. My name's Hilly. Like he he tries to continue to play it off. He does, but then immediate like within like two lines, especially when he shows him Bernard's corpse hanging from the mountain. Yeah, and he's just like, look, uh, I have developed a virus. If my demands aren't met in the next couple of days, if I'm not made a count and given like uh, basically a pardon and all this money. Mm -hmm. Uh, things are gonna get real bad real fast. Because I really love to count. And that's what we learned he's 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 using these these girls for is yes. to send them out to send them back to their homes and and use them as basically his sleeper agents to release this virus that could kill everyone on the planet. Yeah. Uh it'll destroy whole crops, it'll destroy it'll it'll make people sterile like it he is literally like this is a full-on end of the world plan that yeah. i don't think i'll ever have to use but you know what fuck it maybe i will i'm up here in the alps with a bunch of ladies and again like he plays it more sinister more like um level-headed like yes like yeah this is a lot more cold this is a lot more scary than anything I mean, you saw yes. donald pleasance's blofeld go and doing I like I like Donald Pleasance, but I can't, and, and especially in that role, but like, I can't imagine Telly Savalas delivery of when they see Bernard's corpse and he goes, you perverse British, you love your exercise. Like mm -hmm. that line, Donald Pleasance wouldn't sell it the same way. Right. And the fact that he like Pleasance's Blofeld runs immediately. Mm hmm. Savalas doesn't flinch when Bond starts beating up his guys. Right. Uh, and he's the, and he's, he, just, and, he's still there. And like you were saying, I believe it was in Thunderball of uh, the. Oh yeah. With, with Largo being with, really hands on like hands on in the middle of all of it. Like Terry Savalas, uh, Telly Savalas is, you know, Blofeld is right there. Every time he, something he, jumps off, he goes skiing. Yeah. He gets with a on gun, the with skis a and goes after him. Yeah. Uh, and like the, I love this sequence where he's put in the room with the gears for the ski lift and Bond tears out his pockets and like uh -huh. climbs across. There's some really fun, like over cranked bits where the camera's really zooming in and he's like panicking. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's the spot yeah. when, when the car actually comes back and he's taken, he's climbed all this way on the cable and they bring him all the way back. And it's like, yeah. there's a couple of spots within this where it's very nail biting because yeah. he's in a position to where if one false move or something happens one second too late, he's going to fall to his death or Absolutely. be crushed by a gear or lose his fingers. Like there's a right. lot of, there's a lot of stakes for him getting out of here. And Bond gets more and more desperate as this act goes on. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
he, he you know he fights the guy at the desk who seems there's a weird cut where it's like this guy actually teleports to his feet uh, <laughs> and bonds bonds um i think in the second half of this movie his one-liners get worse and worse like there's a bit where he he knocks this guy out tells him merry christmas mm-hmm. and then when he leaves the room he says maybe you should have been gift wrapped and i was like i don't know what that means <laughs> yeah so it's too much like don't put a hat on a hat right and but yeah, we get this, oh man, this great ski chase. Uh, Blofeld skis with them. There's some weird rear projection, but it's a good, it's a good sequence. Right. And a lot of the people, you know, obviously a lot of the actors couldn't ski very well. I believe, <laughs> sure. I believe they got Diana Rigg on, on skis for a little bit she of it. She did, yes. Um, she had also done that on the Avengers. Right. And uh, I, I learned they, they got this like super, like, awesome olympic style skier to to a lot of these scenes and could do the the one ski skiing that they were doing down the mountain and then i think oh that is so great yeah and they and they saw this guy's work i I saw this in the behind the scenes they saw this guy's work just doing the shots and they were like put a camera in his hands i got a phone call from cubby broccoli asking me uh if i was interested in working with the bomb people i was supposed to go for three weeks and um, I was staying for three months then, <laughs> so it was a, a great adventure. Skiing is my profession, or was my profession as an Olympic skier, and I didn't have too much problems with, you know, actually skiing with a camera. He skied forwards, backwards, sideways, from the top of roofs. He was brilliant. This guy could ski backwards as fast as I could go frontwards with a camera. <laughs> It's it's insane, right? Because I, as I was watching it, I was like, "How the hell did they get that shot? That yeah. is an insane shot, especially for 1969." Mm-hmm. And it is it, the answer is literally yes. They rigged up this giant ass camera to move with him, you know, while he's skiing backwards. And that's also why some of the footage, especially during the raid at the end during the blizzard, looks so grainy and weird. Is that they're literally using like handy cans and running out into the thick of it? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a, I love this bit. I mean, the, this, the, the bond loses one of his skis. He yep. starts panicking skiing on one ski. He kills one dude with one of his broken skis, like just clotheslines him. Yeah. The quiet fall to the ground. We watched this guy fall for a while. Yeah. That, that shot, like, I remember the first time watching this and then I, I forgot about it the second time, but yeah. you watch that guy fall almost to the, to the, to the ground. Yes, and, it and is, then it's then it's replaced with a a very obvious dummy, yeah. but it's pretty great. Yeah, um, but I mean, yeah. just the fact that they stuck on that a real person falling for that long, right? Like that was impressive. Well, and we talked about how great the sequences of Bond wounded running through the crowd and Thunderball. Mm-hmm. This, I think, tops it. I mean, he is terrified. He. Yeah there's a fear in his face when he's choking out the one guy with the ski and we see Blofeld and his men through the trees passing by. Yeah. He tries to hide. He like bumps into a bunch of bells inside of a hut and he fights. I have all caps bell fight. Um, <laughs> and they, they legit like wanted to film that with real bells and, and all. Of, oh, like, yeah. So like, I remember seeing that in the behind the scenes too. Like that was a rough scene to film because I they, they had real bells in there. It was very loud. Yeah. And it just like, I can't even imagine dude. Like and bond is ducking through the crowd while uh, this song about Christmas trees is singing in the background, <laughs> which is another original song written for the film. 
he gets scared by this dude in a polar bear suit. And this is like something out of a foot. I know this is overused, but this is Lynchian. Like when it keeps cutting back to the guy in the bear suit going, ha 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 ha. Like yeah. it's so strange. And he, he's eventually they're, they're all around him. And he just sits down on a bench, pulls up his collar and just sits there. And he looks like I'm dead. Mm-hmm. I'm going to die. And then Tracy appears in front of him. And it's so improbable, but it gets me every single time. Yeah. As she looks at him and she just goes, James, <laughs> you're in trouble, darling. Um, and, and, and she's she's smiling at first because yes. she's happy to see him. She's so happy to see but him. But once she sees him, she can she tell. He's, in, yeah. she's, he's distressed. Yeah. And so she's like, look, go to my car. Let's go. And they drive off. He goes, no sign of and, and she's still she's still Tracy. No sign <laughs> of anyone following us, nor of anyone saying thank you. Uh, <laughs> so she she tells him, look, I I was in the neighborhood because I wanted to be near you. I was mm-hmm. keeping an eye on you. Uh, and he's not used to that. And I, there's no there's no moment where she's like, so uh, what you been up to? But she she does know, like, I, I know you're in trouble or you could get in trouble. So I've been trying to take care of you uh, and it's, or, it's, you know, there it, if you need me. It's this really unexpected role reversal right here. Yes. Like yes. Right. How he has been looking after her the entire movie. You don't get that aspect from her until right then. It's like, oh. There is something here. She she does mean something to him. She like, she is his equal. They are yeah. partners, and it's great. I mean, she takes him. She he's like, I gotta reach London. She takes him to the phone booth, and the shot when he's in the phone booth and the bullets start blasting through the window mm-hmm. is just oh, it's so good. And it's followed by a great, great car chase sequence, maybe yeah. the best car chase in the series, uh, and. It feels realistic. the The way that they they're they're running through the snow, like there's bits where she stops and has to back up just to make sure she has enough like throttle to go forward. And, right. Uh, they smash through the crowd into the racetrack. We get a really great joke about looks like we've hit the rush hour, <laughs> and Tracy is loving this. Yeah, she's making one liners. She's smiling. Uh, she's knocking bad guys off the road there's an insane bit where a car flips over and it explodes and you see the flames hit this stunt man's ass. <laughs> like as he's running, it's wild. Um, and then after, they, after the chase, we get, we, we get uh bond, you know, his, his, uh, the one liners in this aren't the greatest in the world, but no. and it, a great. lot of it has to do with his delivery. I think. Yeah, and and then, but between he and her, he's like, see, I told you that crowd would discourage them, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, I, of course it would work. Uh, there's a weird thing that he does though when he says his one-liners. There's one coming up, but he says them so matter-of-factly that they don't feel like jokes. It feels like he's just talking about what he saw. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but this sequence in the barn is just beautiful. So he says an agent shouldn't be concerned with anything but himself. And he tells her, he's like, you've changed me. Like I am, yeah. you know, I want, I want you. I want to, I want to marry you. And he makes a joke about waiting for marriage to consummate their relationship. And then he, he knocks her over on top of him and 
that it's such a silly gag, but the horses in the stable looking away while they start to have sex yeah. is really funny. And what is it um, he says? Right? He's like, it's not the new year yet or something not, like that. It's not new year yet. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Cause he, he tells her it's my new year's resolution to wait right. for marriage. Uh, and but this is morning, definitely a you know a, a step yeah. back from what we've seen of Bond, especially in coming from You Only Live Twice, where he you know he had a a pretty good love interest in that movie, and then there was even a marriage scene in that movie, which right. kind of made the love interest problem problematic in that one. But, right, right. You know, now we. I mean, even though you've seen Bond, you know, sleep with two or three women at this at this compound and whatnot, right. like you still have no problem believing that he actually cares about her. feels something for her yeah and is only doing this because it's what he has to do to do his job you know i love you i know i'll never find another girl like you it does feel like that right and it doesn't seem like it's insane that this movie mostly sells it and it's Mm -hmm. because of scenes like this because there is a tenderness here that is completely at odds with the bond that we've seen earlier in the movie who is literally following a script. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's straight up like, well, these words worked last time, you know? Uh, But he's never said this to anyone before. And, and the next morning they, they leave, they're skiing away. They're joyous. It does feel like maybe one ski chase too many. Uh, That's one 10 minutes. That's a couple of notes I had is there's, there's, there's two things that I think go on a little too long here. One Uh is that I think there is one too many ski chases. Uh And uh, the other is the final, the third, third act battle, I guess you would call it. Really? Oh man. Okay. I, I feel like the snow sled scene goes on a little too long. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, so so this sequence, yeah, it goes on a little bit long, but there's some fun, there's a couple of differences. There's some fun jumps, like they're they're like jumping off of the cabins and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh and then uh because I was I was literally like, oh, I'm kind of bored. Why why do I like this sequence again? And then a dude goes into a thresher and explodes. This is the most gruesome scene we've ever had in a bond movie it's so goopy (laughs) it's so good though like i was loving every second of it and bond uh, bond's one-liner is he had a lot of guts (laughs) that's that's the one-liner that works for me in this movie oh see i think it's so bad because it seems like he's just pointing at things He's like look like (laughs) like later on in the movie he would just be like i'm in an airplane like There's like a there's a really nice matchup between like the stock footage and the miniatures and all the rear projection. I mean, it's a hell of a sequence mm-hmm. um, and it, it all a lot of it holds up really well. There's like one shot that's literally like they've put two miniatures. Like projected over the the avalanche footage mm-hmm. and it works really well. Um, and Blofeld's like, hey, go dig that girl out. And yeah. it's. It's unclear why he wants Tracy all of a sudden, other than to give us like a damsel for the final act, right? Right. And I and and again, we've already touched on how how I think she's a strong character. Like even when she's put in that position, she holds her own. She's right. not stupid about anything. Like she right. doesn't play the damsel in distress like we've seen in so many of these movies so far. And we've seen so many of these movies where the capable woman character is all of a sudden all of her agencies taken away right right and even in this it's almost it almost serves to tell us like he thinks she's another damsel in distress but she's breaking bottles and stabbing motherfuckers yeah 
and it rules. This scene, and I, yeah. Like, this is this is kind of where it kicks off this the the uh, where this movie obviously has influenced a lot of movies throughout Hollywood. Yes. Um, yeah. This scene in particular reminds me a lot of the end scene in Solo. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like when For they sure. the the way the room is set up with the windows, yeah. uh, the fact that she is playing him forgot, while he's playing her. I forgot like, Solo was a movie. I will be fully <laughs> honest with you. I have not thought about Solo since I saw it in the theaters. <laughs> not a fan, I presume. I'm not. I you know, is it worth revisiting, you think? I I honestly walked out of Solo loving it and I've watched it multiple times since. Interesting. Like okay. I I really I was I had a lot of problems with just the production of that movie when they announced it. Like, okay, who are you going to get to replace Harrison Ford and all of those things? And oh, I don't think I don't think yeah, the failings of that movie are not on his shoulders. I yeah, don't think. and I like think he's good. But uh, I, I think that movie is a very fun Star Wars adventure movie. I'll give it a shot. I'll give it another shot. I my I remember at the time my big takeaway was man, I would love more. Donald Glover is Lando Calrissian. <laughs> and now there's a lot of like up in the air of, as if to they're going to continue using him for that character now. They so. better. I mean, he's so good. He he's is so good. At and you movie. can tell he loves doing it too. Like, Oh, it's yeah. He's having a blast. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I mean, before, right before we, cause we, we get a couple of scenes with Tracy and Blofeld, but we also get this really ahead of its time shot of Bond remembering his own rescue projected over M's window in his office mm-hmm. where Bond's like looking out the way. It's, it's an incredible shot, especially for the time. And M just basically says, look, you failed. Blofeld's going to be paid off. Mm-hmm. He's going to be named a count by midnight tomorrow, or we're all going to die. And Bond, Bond's reaction to that is very plainly, okay, so I have 16 hours to wreck his shit. I'm yep. going to go do that. I can blow up his Gloria, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, I can make sure that these girls are taken care of. I can do all of that. Also, he has the woman I love and him very cold. This department is not concerned with your personal problems. Yeah. Is that is that understood? So Bond goes, sure. He calls Draco and says, I'd like to interest you in a demolition deal. <laughs> uh, uh, rules. What he should have said is I have 16 hours to become the third act of Inception. Right. Oh, my God. Right. So I think I mentioned this to you during uh, the was it the Thunderball episode? Where I was like, you should look in the sky hook. Like it was yes. I was like, you would not believe how much Christopher Nolan has ripped off another movie coming up. Like, and I, and I is... mean, like, uh, you know, I, I'm I, I got to I got to watch Tenet again to see if he took anything from James Bond for Tenet, because like he took something from uh, I want to say the spy who loved me for uh dark knight rises like the mid flight heist is uh-huh. like full on a bond sequence this um and that's the thing about christopher nolan is like he obviously he, wants to make a bond movie he wears his influences on his sleeve but if I you mean, were to he, if, yeah. if you were to approach him to be like hey we want you for the next bond movie he'd be like that's beneath me <laughs> you I know like i don't think i'll do that i don't know that's not what he sounds like <laughs> <laughs> that's my placeholder British voice. Uh, no, he it's, it's weird because uh, 
this is the one where he has full on said, this is Christopher Nolan's favorite film of all time. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and so, and it shows in almost all of his work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 a lot of the shots look yeah. a, a lot like the shots in this and it's, and it's essentially the third act of this movie is yeah. the third act of inception. It's crazy. Well, there's, there's that bit where, um, you know, in Interstellar, when they wake up Matt Damon mm-hmm. and he sits up and he goes, this never happened to the other fella. <laughs> that doesn't happen. I wish. I wish. I wish. I wish. Can I tell you, when I when the trailer for The Martian came out, I had just seen Interstellar. And I at the end of the trailer, I turned to my girlfriend at the time and I said, they should leave that motherfucker up there. <laughs> like, I, was like, I was like, don't trust Matt Damon. Anytime he's near space. <laughs> if he's not on earth, I do not trust him. Um, <laughs> um, but Tracy, Tracy's looking dope as hell. Like Blofeld's given her like an awesome outfit to wear around his pad. Yeah. And, he tries to like appeal to her by pointing out, he's like, look, your dad's a criminal. I'm a criminal. We have so much in common. I can make you a countess, but I'm already a countess. Like it's so, Oh, it's so good. Um, but bond and Draco and, and all the other guys are coming in on helicopters and these shots are unbelievable. I mean, yeah. these like gorgeous golden hour shots of the copters at sunset Mm -hmm. she recognizes her dad on the radio all of the flight shots looking over that compound like that that round building that are on top of the mountain and everything like all of that stuff is amazing and one of my favorite little details because draco is like and this this bit goes on a little too long with like two different sets of people yeah asking him what are you doing he's like well we're delivering plasma and medical Mm -hmm. supplies uh, do you want to be a murderer? Like, you know, uh, uh, there's this great bit where he's like, leave us alone. Let us pass through. Uh, and you, if you look at Bond, who's sitting directly behind Draco, he's smiling through this whole thing. He's like, God, this guy's so good. Like, it's literally like, it's like, it's like me listening to jazz, man. Like, he's just like, I can't believe you're, you're weaving your word jazz. Um, so yeah, the, the copter's, start to come in they open fire immediately start throwing grenades yeah and we get the 007 theme finally like this is really the f- yes. first full-on instance of this in this movie like yeah and it is maybe the best deployment of it i mean yeah. the uh I, I mean a close i mean it, it's all it's it's even more exciting than when it got deployed during the uh, you only live twice helicopter fight. Like yeah. this is, this is so exciting. Cause you're like, fuck yeah. The cavalry has arrived. It's a lot like the end of Goldfinger when all, when everybody's rushing yes. Goldfinger's base. So this is another thing that's become a trope at this point, right? Like bond arriving with reinforcements, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with this is, but I think this beats, this beats Fort Knox. This beats the volcano lair in the last movie. I love this sequence. Well, the set I, pieces, the set pieces here are a lot more thrilling, and you you get a lot more in camera 
action with the actors in this, I think. But also you're following Bond throughout. Like yeah. the my biggest issue with the raid on Blofeld's lair and you only live twice is the fact that we lose James for so much of that. Yeah. You know, we're just watching ninjas with machine guns it's the mowing same. down dudes in gray suits. Yeah, it's the same in, in Goldfinger. He's fighting odd job underground while everybody else is overtaking. Yeah, while know. we're watching the US Army fight yeah, <laughs> yeah fight the other guys. Um, yeah, and, and meanwhile, like, we're getting a lot of those, like, shots of a random dude runs into a hallway and throws a grenade. Yeah. But it's always intercut with James, you know, taking photos of Blofeld's lair, mm-hmm. find, trying to find the switch that activates his secret map. And-, and even when they're outside and there's the icy walkway and he is gliding across the ice on his on his stomach shooting at them. What like- an incredible shot, right? Yeah. Which apparently, like... Peter Hunt during filming, someone was like, Oh my God, I'm going to slip down this thing. And he goes, everybody, I've got an idea. (laughs) Great idea. (laughs) Like there's this incredible like story where he's just like, we came up with that on the day. He's like, he's like, George, take this gun, lay down. We're going to push you from out of frame. And I just want you to spray the camera (laughs) with caps. And it, it's so good. Yeah. Um, and uh and tracy gets her own action sequence she's fighting these dudes in the lair Mm -hmm. and uh bond finally finds her says tracy darling and then turns to this dude with a gun and like unloads like 30 bullets into him (laughs) takes his gun in front of her takes his gun and says guns make me nervous (laughs) she smiles yes she's loving every second that is my man yep um, and that's the other thing that makes this so great with between the two of them is like, yeah, she is she is fully accepted like who he is, yes, and does not care like and loves him, yeah, like loves she, him. She it's almost and the heartbreaking part of the end of this movie is that we don't I like. I would love to see the pair of Bond and Tracy. I know, like having adventures not, together. Like it would to be, be so good. Yeah, I mean. But in the meantime, I mean, this this action sequence is unbelievable. There's a dude, I mean, there's a fire stunt, a dude with a flamethrower. Uh, they set a bomb, and Draco is very matter-of-fact. Like, uh, James knows the schedule. Like, if he's going to survive, he's just going to have to meet us at the helipad. Yeah. And Draco knocks Tracy out because she doesn't want to leave James. Right. And it's a better scene without the joke that follows it up where he's just, he like, he kind of like makes a joke about it. And I'm just like, it's a, it's a more, there's more weight to this moment if he just knocks her out. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where I'm like, I get that you like, didn't want this like really heavy moment, but it, it, this calls for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a tone to this movie that is a lot different than the other ones. Yes. Uh, While there is comedy interjected into this one, it, it works in certain moments, but I think it works when it needs to. And it, and if yes. it doesn't hit, it's fine. Like it doesn't hurt the movie for the it, most part, for yeah. the most there's, part, there's but a there's a couple of jokes where I'm like, this was the time to be, to play it straight. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, especially during, especially during the chase, leaving the compound the first time I'm like, right. I don't need, I don't need these jokes because it, it, it erases the stakes of bond feeling like he's cornered. Right. Once he's with Tracy, they've made love. They're escaping together. I'm like, make all the terrible jokes you want because you are showing me that you are happy again. Right. You know, um, 
but nothing makes me happier than the note that I wrote, which is cool runnings chase. (laughs) (laughs) Which is this fucking luge chase scene, which I, I agree goes on a little long, but I think it's so well directed. The fight choreography is so good, even though it's very frenetic. I mean, my biggest Lo- issue with yeah. this with this fight scene is like, how long could you feasibly hang on to this fight on a on a snow on a snowmobile or whatever the hell I know, the snow sled? I know. But like, no, yeah. But there there there's more there's more influence I see in other stuff from this. Like I I was getting major speed racer vibes off of this. God, I love yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was getting Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I see. I got Temple of Doom from this. The well, I mean, in Temple of Doom. I'm thinking the scene in Indy uh, in part three when he's on the tank oh, and they're the against tank and he's he's getting his head pushed into the yeah. side. Of the... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is my favorite. Yeah. One of my favorite set pieces in movies. Uh, I was getting that. I was getting Speed Racer. I was uh, it's giving me Speed Racer. It's giving me <laughs> Indiana Jones. Um there was one other sequence that it really reminded me of. And now I can't, Oh, a little bit of Tron, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. lights, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's just a good chase sequence. And the fact that like Blofeld runs out of bullets and fucking throws, throws. his gun. <laughs> yeah. He drops a grenade at his feet. And in any other movie, that would be the end of the sequence, but mm-hmm. if he still gets it out, chucks it and bond the shot of the explosion where bond is thrown from his cart is like upsetting. Yeah. He manages to jump back onto Blofeld's cart and this hand to hand fight is great. I mean, you want to talk about Blofeld getting his hands dirty in this movie. He is, he's ready to kill James with his bare hands. And instead Blofeld like Beverly hillbilly style wrecks his shit on a tree. (laughs) He's branched off. He, br- he branched off. Who who are you saying that for, James? Come right. on. Um, but then there's this hilarious bit where James jumps off the track as the cart flies through the air and crashes, and it's just made of wood. But I I kept thinking, how fucking hilarious would it be if the cart exploded, exploded. <laughs> like just in a fucking fireball it's like the end of a uh, fucking running man when uh when <laughs> when he goes to, it's like there's no reason that this thing should blow up right now actually this sequence has real running man vibes it too does. uh uh that's so true um i yeah i wish the cart had exploded but it doesn't and he doesn't go back to get blofeld right which is I mean, an odd I, little cut yeah i don't know i don't know if he assumed that that killed him or what? I, I do or like, they went, there, there should have been one line where we were like, well, his, his body was gone when we went back to look for it. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it feels like there's stuff left undone and unsaid that James wouldn't leave. And the one thing I do like about it though, that I did notice the second time, didn't notice yeah. the first time is when we do see uh Blofeld later. Yeah. He has a neck brace on. He's a neck brace and maybe a tracheotomy. Maybe I can't tell if that's a trait or if it's just like a little like screw in the neck brace, but right. it's yeah. I mean, he's, he's not feeling good. No. Um, but the next day James goes and gets Tracy's ring in this lovely little silent sequence. Mm-hmm. And we cut to introducing Mr. And Mrs. James Bond. Uh, they're cutting the, 
the shot of Money Penny's face when they cut the cake <laughs> that was destroys me. Yes, like when you cut to her and you see M and Q and all of them, and like when you cut over to Money Penny, like as soon as I saw her, I was like, "Oh, Money Penny!" Like, but doesn't this almost? It almost feels like the movie is saying, "Oh, this is the end of James Bond's story." We it get does. A, like a repeat of all the characters. We get M enjoying himself at a party. We get Q saying like, I've, I respect you. I know we haven't always seen eye to eye mm -hmm. him loving Tracy because she goes, Oh, he's irresponsible. You know, mm -hmm. and he goes, exactly. Um, <laughs> I've been saying it for years, you know, yeah, but he compliment, he puts his arm on around James's shoulder. Mm-hmm. And just like tells him like I'm basically says I'm proud of you not those exact words but it's a it's just a lovely little moment mm -hmm. Money Penny saying I always cry at weddings and we get this like beautiful shot of the three of them together James throws his hat to her one more time that was you know there <laughs> there's certain scenes in movies that will affect me emotionally and I'm like oh uh, and then like it will counterbalance that with one more thing that will just send me over the edge uh, that got you and, and like. Uh, key key instance in this is like Marley and Me, <laughs> you know, a, oh, movie, sure. a, a movie and book that are you know designed to make you feel your feelings. Uh, no. I hung with that movie till the very end, even when the dog was spoiler alert for everybody out there when the dog was gonna die. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I was like, I accepted it. It was part of the story. I was all, I was fine with it. Like it moved me, but like mm -hmm. I, I it didn't like it didn't get me. You know. Yeah. And there's there's a spot in there like I don't know if you've seen the movie or read the book, but um, yes. there's a there's a necklace that is important to Jennifer Aniston's yeah. character. Uh huh. And he eats it at some point in the movie and then they have to take him to the hospital and get it out, all that stuff. Well, at the end, when I, they're I'm sorry, I love so much that you are sharing with me. <laughs> Your Marley and me yeah. truth. I, I in this episode, please continue. <laughs> but the moment when they're when they're when they're burying the dog, it's emotional already, and I'm I'm fine. I, I've accepted what's happened. But when she takes that necklace off and mm -hmm. puts it in there, and mm -hmm. and I, like I lost my cookies. It's the dude. last. It's the last straw. And it's you know we've already mentioned a... we've already mentioned Star Wars. It was like the 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 last episode of Mando season two when sure. we got introduced to Luke back into the story. Like that was something in its own. It was like, Oh my God, Luke's here. Like it was awesome yeah. to see. And then me being the R2D2 fan that I am when R2 <laughs> rolled out him. on the screen, yeah. I, like dude, you would have thought I was a child. I was like, <gasps> yeah. like I lost my cookies. Like if you can, if you can affect me emotionally and then double down on that, you've, you've got me. For me, especially having watched this multiple times, it's every single time the string motif of we have all the time in the world comes in. Yeah. When I hear that music, I start crying. Yeah. Like I just, it doesn't, I, I it's literally like a Pavlovian response to those particular strings. I mm -hmm. cannot handle it. Um, but when he throws the hat to Money Penny. Uh, which is his way of throwing her a bouquet. Yeah. Right. And, and like, like uh, it, it got me on this one. And, uh, and that's not even the part I'm supposed to be getting emotional at, really. Know. You we'll, know, we'll, like, we'll, we're getting to the point of no return for yeah. me because there's this lovely moment where Draco reminds uh, Tracy, Teresa, you're supposed to obey your husband in all things. She goes, I will obey him as much as I have you. And that uh, is, that is perfect. Perfect. 
Absolutely and the fact perfect. that he gives Bond the million pounds that he promised, Bond gives it back because it doesn't the money wasn't the point. It was never about the money for him. Yeah. And they drive off and they are first someone drives by honking their horn because it's these kids basically like say mm-hmm. it with flowers. They're, you know, uh congratulating them. So he pulls over, he's like, Yeah, we should pull our we should we look like a flower shop ad. Mm-hmm. Like we should pull our, you know, flowers off. He starts to pull the flowers down. Irma Bunt and Blo- Blofeld driving, which yeah. is interesting to me, mm-hmm. drive by and Irma f- opens fire on the car. He goes around. It's Blofeld. And she's just still in the passenger seat. Yeah. There's a moment of realization for him. Like, like you said, like he is still in it. He's like Blofeld. That was Blofeld. Like you can yeah, tell. We gotta go. We gotta go. I gotta and tell then, Q, I gotta tell him. Like we gotta make this happen. And there's this very surreal moment with a police officer pulling up, not saying a word, looking in. And James is lost. And he says, It's all right. She's having a rest. We'll be going on soon. There's no hurry, you see. We've all the time in the world. And so I was going to try so hard not to cry during this episode. <laughs> um, it, it obliterates me. And yeah. this scene um, took a full day to film. Peter mm-hmm. Hunt says he... He had him read this over and over again. And he said, mm-hmm. I got to the point where I wanted it to break him. I wanted to pull this performance out of him by exhausting him. Because it, and it's it's an odd thing because James is always so in the moment and so aware of what's happening. Mm-hmm. So ahead of the ball. And he cannot handle the fact that his first feeling of happiness is already gone. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, I, the first time I saw this, I was like, why does he leave reality for this? Right. Um, it, It's a hard thing to process when you've watched this character go through the five movies we've seen already to yeah. this. And, yeah. you know, especially for someone watching this at a younger age or, oh you know, my God. Yeah. I saw this as a, preteen and i was like you can't end a movie like that how is this possible there was always something there were movies that i saw when i was younger where you know the star of the movie was who i was following so therefore nothing can happen to them right you know i remember you know and this is a weird this is a weird movie to 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 bring up for this especially when i was younger but there's a movie (laughs) called there's a it's a it's a william freaking movie called uh, to live and die in la have you seen that one yeah, yeah. Um, and the the main character you're following, the guy from CS CSI. Yeah. I can't I can't remember the actor's name uh, at the William moment. William Peterson. Yeah, right? William Peterson. Yeah. Like he he's not a good guy in this movie. Yeah. He's he's a dirty cop, but like for me at my young age, like he was the guy I was following through this movie. Yeah. And spoiler alert for that movie, like he dies at the end of it. Sure. Pretty suddenly. Like you're not expecting it. Right. And I remember seeing that when I was a kid and I was like wait a minute, how am I supposed to continue watching this movie now? Like, and 
you know, with this, you at least it is it is the ending to this movie. So therefore, you're left with how are you going to leave me like that? Where are you going to go? Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, we were talking before we started recording about Fire Walk With Me. And I mean, that movie is about the slow disintegration of Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. It's it, and, and having, you know, the movie came after the show. So, you know, there's this foregone conclusion that everything's going to go bad for her. Things mm-hmm. are going to keep getting worse. But with James, it with this movie, you, you don't have that feeling of impending doom. But when you read when you rewatch it yeah it is a film that is completely different on a second viewing because you know where it's going and you want to step in and preserve this perfect moment in time mm-hmm. and it's almost like this movie gives license to the piece of shit that he becomes after this you right. know like in in a way i mean it's you know there obviously i think Roger Moore is hilarious and very charming and the movies very rarely reference Tracy after this mm. because they they can't you know right to, to cope with the reality of this man still existing after this mm-hmm. is too much right um which is another reason why it is perfect that this is Lazenby's only film right because where do you go after this right the, the original idea was they filmed all of this when Lazenby was still contracted to do Diamonds Are Forever. I mean, he literally refunded his advance because he didn't want to do the movie. Mm. The original plan was we end Honor Majesties with the wedding. We start Diamonds Are Forever with this scene where Tracy is killed and then we send him on a revenge mission. Mm. And when he quit the franchise, they were like, okay, we cannot waste this perfect sequence. Right. We have to put this in the movie. And then whoever plays James next has to slightly reckon with it. Yeah. Um, and that brings me to my next question is, does this movie work? Does this, especially this scene, does it work with Sean Connery? Is this as good of a film with Sean Connery? And I think the answer is no, because I think we have been on this very singular, very rare journey with this one performer. Yeah. For all of his faults as as a performer, I think we need this movie to be George Lazenby. Yeah. And I and, you know, I, that was kind of something that I was thinking about and I was going to ask you was, yeah, you know, knowing that we we get Sean or uh, Sean Connery back after this. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't know, you know, obviously, like, there was a lot to live up to with this role for Lazenby. And, you know, I can understand him not wanting to continue with it. Uh, I don't know what led to Sean Connery coming back. We'll find out about that next, next, next uh, episode. Spoiler Um, alert. Money. (laughs) Money. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, like, yeah, I I understand where you're coming from. Like, there's, there's a lot to this. And again, like, I think this movie works on the level that we've been discussing this entire time of the, the boyish nature of George Lazenby's performance. Yeah. It, it brought something fresh to this movie that you were, that you were, you may have had around Dr. No from Russia with love Goldfinger yeah. time of Connery, but Connery always played it with his machismo. Yes. And, it's and, more and of a charisma thing, right? Like, yeah. And there's a, there's a vulnerability here that I don't think Connery ever went in for. Right. And even even when he's falling for um, 
oh my gosh, I just totally lost her name. But when, when, even in From Russia with Love, where he's ostensibly falling for somebody, mm-hmm. there's still a sense of, well, this is duty first, right? right? Mm-hmm. And in this movie, he opens himself fully. I mean, there is a there's a line in Casino Royale where he tells Vesper, I have no armor left. Mm-hmm. You've stripped me of it, you know? Yeah. And th- that is what I get from Lazenby's Bond. Right. Is that Tracy is the only person who's ever seen him for right. who he is and loved him and accepted him and the tragedy of them because i mean you know we can talk all day about characters being fridged to you know motivate character you know motivate male characters right mm-hmm. women being fridged but the tragedy of it is that they were perfect for each other right and he will never have that again right and um, that's you know and and that's kind of what i wanted to ask about only knowing really the Craig Bond movies and knowing that there's this sense of him falling for a girl, losing her in that series, in, in those right. movies, um, and, and how much this movie played a role in what those movies became, you know, like, yeah, um, because you know, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, in the books, Casino Royale came first, mm-hmm. um. Which gives, I think, maybe even more weight to the fact that Tracy was able to erase Vesper for him. Right. Um, and I mean, shit. When we get there in like three years, I will <laughs> talk. I will talk for hours about Vesper Lind. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, we've gotten used to this idea of it, to the point where, like, the the producers told Roald Dahl. Uh, writing you only live twice well we have to have three girls and one of them is the girl that dies Mm -hmm. and it's just like a trope and tracy's not a trope she's a human being yeah and there's there's a there's a there's a realism to this character and a weight to their relationship that makes it feel different from all of the others yeah there's never been a, a character that he's been involved with maybe um I can't remember her name, but the first love interest in You Only Live Twice um, before she dies. Yeah. Um, that was that was the first instance we've got of him really kind of showing a lot of interest in a person and like kind of yeah. falling for them. And then you lose her throughout the you know halfway through that movie. And then yeah. it's it's played to a point where he marries this other girl and goes after her. So it's kind of played terribly in that movie. Yeah. So this is the first instance where, like, she has been our main constant throughout this entire movie. We're invested yeah. in her. She's a strong character. Yes. And even though Bond plays his, uh, you know, plays his hand and plays these girls at this at this retreat or whatever and does what he does with them there, like, yeah. you never feel a sense of, like, you know, he's... He's, he's forgotten tur- her. Yeah, he's turning his back on Tracy and, and doing this, like... Well, she's and I think part of that there. helps that she, he is playing a character when he's there also. Yeah. yeah. And it's the ugly part of spy work. I mean, it's not morally great. Right. Um, but I I buy it in the context of this story. 
Um, because it's not like there's other movies where he literally sleeps with someone and then he's like, oh, you're a spy. Great. Let me find out stuff. Like there's so many movies where it's just like, no, I want this because you owe it to me as a woman. You know what I mean? Like, and, and again, that comes back to like the general overall menace of Connery's bond. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the performances of Lazenby and Diana Rigg. Uh, Lazenby has this innocence about him, even though he's very swaggering, he's constantly putting on poses Mm -hmm. uh, and the guy can throw a punch at the end of the day. He is a, there, there is something about him that feels significantly more approachable than Connery's bond and 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 more sincere than Connery's Bond. Connery's Bond always feels like he's got five layers up in front of the person he's talking to, which is great for playing a stone cold assassin. Mm-hmm. Um, but for what the story calls for here, I think Lazenby is exactly the right performer. Yeah, and I, I think-, think Rig is meeting him in every regard and exceeding him in many areas. Yeah, I th- I, I honestly like. I really enjoy Lazenby's performance in this. I think he's good. Yeah. I would love to have seen him do more. Um, yeah. But I, I think Diana Rigg is the MVP of this movie. I think and she's I, amazing. Yes, I agree. And I think when we get to the next film, you're going to feel the loss of Lazenby even more. Not to take anything away from Connery, although he is pretty much sleepwalking through the next movie. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert you want to see the world where we got the revenge picture, right? Like you want, especially when we leave him here and it's one of the most, it's one of the most jarring things in the world because the movie gives us a few moments of silence, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Gives us the production credits and then (laughs) James Bond will return in diamonds are forever. Right. It's, it's, so jarring yeah and it feels like even at the time they were like we cannot leave the audience without at least another rousing you know reprisal of the theme song um and i was almost wondering if we were going to get the james bond will return in this one because it normally it it normally comes at the beginning of the credit roll right or at least somewhere within the beginning and in this one they wait until that last moment to give you that and it does feel like they're like, we need, we need to give this some weight. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, I mean, ending a major studio picture like this in 1969 is insane. Uh, especially because these had become known, especially since Goldfinger and Thunderball as these crowd pleasing adventure movies. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this one deals with a lot more shades of gray and ends with the hero not winning, losing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe it's, it's just such a stark contrast. Yeah. And maybe, you know, uh, if I would have seen this as a kid, I'd probably feel different about this movie maybe, but as an adult and really enjoying uh, bleak, dark endings. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. Oh, shit. That's, I mean, I look a uh, little <laughs> subtle plug for my other show uh silver linings playlist where we find the silver linings in some of cinema's bleakest endings that's what i'm all about one of my greatest regrets is the season before i joined the show they did on her majesty's secret <laughs> service so i'll go ahead and give you the floor here what would be your silver lining to on her <laughs> majesty's secret service um 
God, I mean, the only silver lining I can find here is that uh, James prevented Blofeld from releasing his virus because on a personal level, there's no there's no victory here for James. Right. Right. Like his life is irrevocably changed. Um, I think you will be surprised when the movies choose to acknowledge this chapter. Hmm. Um, And uh, uh, specifically, like, I think you're going to be you're going to get a little whiplash when you dive into the next movie, which I think you should do as soon as possible, because (laughs) I think it will it will really surprise you. And I think it may color the way you approach this next one. I mean, I have a real love for diamonds are forever. I think I like it more than most people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then it is, I have to give myself a little bit of a buffer between the two because you are left with this world of unfulfilled possibilities. Right. Um, because I, I, I want to see where this bond goes. I mean, I guess I have the books if I want that. Right. Um, in the books, the next book is You Only Live Twice, and he kills Blofeld and Irma Bunt with his bare hands. Mm. Literally strangles them to death. Right. Like, and and I'm just like, you know, very Lucille Bluth, good for her kind of moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but uh yeah, I I uh it's a, it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's what I mean, what would you say would be the silver lining to this? Well, weekend? It, you know, at least Bond found love for that point of time, you know, right. it, it would be, it would be a travesty that he never found, found her at all in my, Absolutely. in my book. I fully um, agree. And, you know, even though this movie ends on the, on the downer that it does, like, I'm glad it's there and I'm glad I have it to come back to because Absolutely. it's, it's the most interesting I've seen Bond so far because we're getting a little more personal. Would you put this over? I mean, you you would say this is the best one we've done so far. I have enjoyed this one. It's either uh-huh. slightly above or right there with From Russia with Love. Yeah. From Russia with Love really blew me away. That's this, my favorite Connery, for sure. This movie really made cemented in my brain that I should probably do like reaction videos for when I watch these for the first time. <laughs> Man, it's my favorite thing when you'll send me a picture and you're just like, wow, this sucks. Or <laughs> yeah. like this one, I got no texts from you. You were like, I'm finally, you know, you sent me a picture of the menu screen, I yeah. think. And you're yeah. like, I'm doing it. And then like two and a half hours later, I got a text that was just like, fuck. Yeah. I, we got to talk about this immediately. <laughs> and then was, we waited a month. <laughs> I was just really taken aback by how it was a, a different, a different Bond movie. He's different. And, and it was just a hit different. It felt different. And it was just, yeah. uh, it was a breath of fresh air after the first really five Connery is. movies. It really is. And I, I think maybe that colors part. Of, and we'll talk about this next time, but like that colors a lot of how I feel about diamonds are forever, because I feel like so much of that movie is like, Oh yeah, we can be a little wacky. Let's be a little wacky. Yeah. I mean, th- this movie has some wacky bits, right? The, al- the idea of the allergy clinic is insane, <laughs> but it doesn't have uh seagulls on the head sort of comedy in it. Sure. So. And you gotta, I, I, I will reiterate. I think I said this off air. I think you should watch no time to die. You haven't seen that one yet. I, nope. I, I think you should watch it now. 
I, I really do. I, as much as I would love for you to wait until we get there in the show, I think this close to Honor Majesties, it is the one that feels the most indebted to this movie out okay. of any of the Craigs. And like, I will, without spoiling anything, and for our listeners who've watched it, uh, there's a moment five minutes into this movie when I started crying. Wow. I mean, seeing it in the theater, I, 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 all I will say is the Pavlovian response kicked in <laughs> and, uh, and that's all I will say. Um, but yeah, man, this is the one, this is the one I have been more than any of the others. I've been waiting to talk about this movie and I'm so thrilled that we're finally, we've finally gotten the chance to do yeah. it. And this is one, you know, I, I will go ahead and say like, I mean, this is the only George Lazenby. So, I mean, obviously we're yeah. not going to be able to do any kind of a ranking with him. It's the top one of the George Lazenby Bond it movies. Absolutely uh, is. And uh, I, I, you know, I will definitely be giving this movie a few more rewatches. I mean, it's, it's good enough to where like, if I don't revisit any other Bond movie, it will yeah. it will be this movie that I revisit. I went through a really horrible breakup a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, my parents at the time asked me, what do you want to do for your birthday? <laughs> and I said, I want to get sushi. I want to get drunk. And I want to watch On Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> and that is what we did. And about an hour and a half into this movie, my my mom goes are you okay? (laughs) Because sometimes if I need a cathartic cry, Uh this is the movie I turn to. It is, it is tied to my heart. I love this movie so much. Um, And I will say, if you, if you leave this movie thinking, man, I would love some more George Lazenby as a spy. You should watch a film from 1986 called Never Too Young to Die, which is a James Bond parody starring George Lazenby as uh, as a secret agent who goes missing because he's kidnapped by a supervillain played by Gene Simmons. (laughs) And the only person who can rescue him is his son, played by John Stamos. (laughs) who is joined by uh, a character played by Apollonia. So if that isn't like the recipe for my like ideal motion picture, I don't know what is. You you didn't have me until Apollonia. And now I'm just like, whoa, let's do uh, does this. It help that, does it help that Robert England also has a small role in the movie? You're making it that much more interesting for me. But yeah, so... Uh, you know, uh, maybe Never Too Young to Die will tide you over until next month's movie, Diamonds Are Forever. Diamonds Are Forever. We get Connery Gosh. back. Yeah, man. If you had to guess what Diamonds Are Forever is about, what would you say? Well, my best guess for this one would be is Bond still reeling from the death of his wife mm-hmm. decides to get his revenge because Diamonds Are Forever. Because... You know, can I can I uh, throw out a an awful guess, even though I've seen the movie? Go for it. I thought you were gonna be like, well, after Tracy dies, Bond uh, hawks the ring because diamonds are forever. Like, he pawns totally it at the pawn this. shop where the uh, the ring is from the crow. <laughs> I mean, that's a revenge scene, right? Like George Lazenby stuffing wedding rings down a shotgun barrel. <laughs> 
It's the best shot in that movie, man. When those it's rings so come good, out of that right? shotgun barrel, I love that scene in that movie. I keep movie. talking about doing that for, oh, that's a scary movie. We might have to do that around Halloween time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but no, I think yeah. uh, I think Connery's going to try and get his revenge on Blofeld. And, um, you know, that's that's the best I got for Diamonds Are Forever. At this point, Connery movies, like, it could be anything at this point. Yeah, and so. the, the next one is the last official one. Yep. Uh, so... You know, it's it's got a lot of weight on it. And it's a movie that I have a lot of affection for. And I'm very curious to see how it plays for you. I'm I'm it more might... I'm more curious on this one to see the the juxtaposition of like bringing Lazby in, him not wanting to come back, yeah, Connery coming back and how that all works together. I'm really trying not to spoil it for you because I, I think you will be shocked by what type of movie it is that's okay. all i will say uh and i yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one and then uh, i believe we are going to do a, a special ranking all of our conneries yeah i think we're gonna rank the connery movies after that we may have a a special um special movie we'll talk about at some point during that yeah. episode as well really we'll, looking forward to that one we'll yeah. fill you we'll in on that fun, one we've after. got some fun surprises coming up right um, um so yeah i mean we'll we'll fill everybody in on the details of that after we do diamonds are forever next month but uh yeah, this was oh, so on her if, majesty's secret service yeah what have you got coming up with vhs files uh right now we're on a little bit of a break uh just uh -huh. a lot of stuff going on in life so we've been uh we banked a few episodes we've had those coming out yeah. uh our jurassic park episode will be coming out uh maybe in the next couple weeks so excited and yeah. uh you know uh, if you've listened to vhs files for the two years we've been doing this you'd Mm -hmm. hear that i have a couple of issues with that movie sure. so i'm airing those out nope. on the air and letting people hear why i don't don't like jurassic park as much as other people so that would be a, that'll be interesting to yeah. uh to hear what people have to say about my issues eric with that loves movie. that movie right uh i don't know if he i mean everybody else on the show pretty much Likes loves it more it. than you do jenny yeah. jenny really loves it and jenny actually yes. joined us for this episode so yay um, okay i'm excited yeah that, that would be one of the i guess you would say the contentions in our relationship is i'm not allowed to talk <laughs> shit about jurassic park sure. <laughs> but um, you know being the spielberg fans that we are and you know most people would think oh well he loves jaws why wouldn't he love jurassic park sure. and i kind of get into why i don't have such a love for that movie that everybody else does but uh other than that um just going to be doing some other little things they're going to uh yeah. going to be putting some more clips up on the clips channel on the uh, youtube so everybody yeah. can look forward to that but as far as you go uh i know you're yeah. not doing silver linings right now but anything else you want to plug yeah so well silver linings might be coming back soon uh we've got we've got the next season coming up uh in the next couple of months but uh, we may be doing a special episode very soon so uh, keep an eye on our feed for that the silver linings playlist um aipt comics podcast uh for fans of the vhs files we i think you guys would really dig this we just had an interview with jeff darrow who is a uh, comic book illustrator and writer behind works such as shaolin cowboy and big guy and rusty the boy robot he also um for film fans is a was a concept artist on all four matrix movies uh speed racer all all the wachowski films he's nice. total genius really fun guy we ended up we had him booked for like 30 minutes we talked to him for like an hour and a half he's the best 
Um, so that's a really fun episode we've got coming up. We've got an interview with Cy Spurrier, uh, the writer of Hellblazer, uh, Way of X from the X-Men line, uh, a total genius. Uh, and a lot of really fun interviews coming up there. Um, also, for I think I might have mentioned this on the last episode, a few episodes back, uh, AIPT Comics interviewed uh, W.D. Richter and uh, Earl McRouch, the director and screenwriter of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eight, Adventures Across the Eight Dimension. Right, right. Uh, and W.D. Richter, who also wrote my favorite film of all time, Big Trouble in Little China, uh, which, which his reaction to me saying that was, really? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, thanks, I guess. Uh, um, also, uh, I've got, oh, that's a scary movie. We have uh, new episodes every single week. We recently dropped an episode on The Others starring Nicole Kidman, which was a blast to revisit. Um, we also have an episode, I think when this drops, we'll have just released our episode on Friday the 13th, 2009, the the remake, oh, okay. which I have a lot of love for. Same here. Uh, I know, yeah, man, it rules, it's right? It's one of the best remakes they've done and people yes. still find a way to shit on it. <laughs> it's so strange because like people were like, oh, we're waiting for the script to be right. And I'm like, it's a Friday the 13th movie. Right. <laughs> what's what's wrong? What is wrong with this movie about Jason stalking people in and around a camp? That's not great about the other ones. <laughs> right. Uh, exactly. None it's of all... those movies have the line. You've got stupendous tits. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. The best moments from the first four Friday the 13th movies. And packed, I make that I make that argument one. in this episode because Ashley, my co-host, has only seen the original film and the remake. Oh, wow. And I was, I was telling her, like, this movie is literally a greatest hits clips package of parts one through four. Yep. Uh, and I love it for that from the from the screenwriters of Freddy versus Jason minus <laughs> David S. Goyer. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, man, uh, we, we've got all that going on. And I. I'm literally counting down the days until we can talk about Diamonds Are Forever. Well, tune in to us next month when we come back to talk Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, Absolutely. Le leave us a comment on the YouTube video. Uh, let us know what you think about On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, where would you rank it in the Please. Bond films? Yes. Uh, tell us what your problems are with it if you have any. Uh, <laughs> don't see a whole lot there myself, but... Uh, yeah, and uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you know when we're putting out new videos. We have a new uh, for new eyes only once a month uh, when we're yeah. when we don't have life interrupting it. But it's um, looking good for the foreseeable future, right? Like right. I, I think so. I've I finished a move. I'm settled. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm saying that as I'm recording in my parents' house right now, but I I will <laughs> uh, next time I will be in my own office with my own cool background, not as cool as Josh's. I don't have nearly any vhs i don't think uh, <laughs> but i have plenty of pop figures so it'll balance out all right man well we will be back next month with <laughs> diamonds are forever and until then nathan stay shaken never stood.